Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It is once again time for the Jack Wagon Sports podcast on the Jack Wagon Network. It's a big day. Uh, there's going to be a lot of arguing uh, because Nick is always fucking wrong. Um, and it's time <clears throat> to discuss the Big My Ten. My degree. <laughs> yeah, so would mine. Well, at least about <laughs> me anyway. Yeah. Um, it's time to discuss the Big Ten season preview for college football. Uh, we're all festive here. Nick's got his whiteout shirt on and his hair uh, just symbolize Penn State surrendering this season. Uh, I got my bush light, the king of the Midwest beers. Um, Slade is just here. Uh, he lives in State College. I guess that counts. Uh, but we're ready to get rolling, but we have a lot of other stuff to talk about. We got golf to get to. We got racing uh, with a bullshit weekend in Indianapolis. Um, so, Slade, let's get right into it, buddy. We had the Rocket Mortgage Classic this past weekend. Tony Finau is a phenom this past two weeks. He has oh, really poured it on. I like that. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, yeah, I wrote that down. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's really turning it on here at the end of the season. Last week, you guys talked about how uh, I think, George, you had mentioned it, that he won the first um, leg of the FedEx Cup uh, championship. And so that just just really, really getting ready for, for the championship here. He has two wins now leading up to it. Uh, it was just a really good weekend all around. Um, I want to also kind of talk on, like, the upcoming stuff before we get into your guys' thoughts on this past weekend. Uh, the Wyndham Championship is in Greensboro near George this weekend. Um, the first round is done. There's some dude I've never even heard of in the lead right now. Um, that's going well. Next week is the FedEx Cup St. Jude Championship at TPC Southwind. Uh, the top 125 make it. Right now, there's this kind of battle going on with top, the last couple guys. Um, usually, it's about three people that kind of fluctuate in and, and out of the cut line there. Uh, the bubble right now. Surprisingly, George, we had talked about this when we first started talking about golf in the podcast. Uh, Ricky Fowler, he's 123 right now with a 72% chance to actually make the FedEx Cup. Uh, I think that's pretty surprising, seeing as though we haven't really talked about him much other than when we kind of forced it into the podcast at the beginning of the season. Um, surprising to me, Cameron Champ is 130, five places out right now with only a 12% chance to make it in. Um, he has back-to-back top 20s, though, so if he could put together a good weekend, um, he could really see a chance at making it into the top 125. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on this past weekend, this, this weekend now at Wyndham, and the upcoming FedEx Cup? George. Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll talk about the, the Rocket Mortgage here real quick. And just Tony Fino, um, it's really cool to see him for so long, he, he has showed really good potential. Like I said, you know, he won last year, excuse me, won last year at the St. Jude. Um, he has these two wins now. He, he's had a, a kind of under the radar, really good year. Yeah, he's missed a couple cuts. I know he missed the U.S. Open cut, um, the Waste Management Open, uh, and a few other tournaments early in the year. Um, but he has two wins now. He has five top 10s and seven top 25s. Um, so... And I mean, it was, I believe the RBC Canadian Open uh, just before the Open, or no, I think it was US, yeah, the US Open Championship. Um, we saw him finish second. Um, he's also ranked really well um, at you know, throughout the, the field as a whole this year. Uh, third in greens and regulation, and he is fifth in strokes gained from tee to green. Um, and so he's putting together a, a, like a scary good resume right now. And like we said, you know, he's getting ready. He has this week off, but he's getting ready to head into 
Um, a tournament that he won last year, next week at the St. Jude, uh, he just kind of fell off the last two rounds. The way he's playing right now, he is not somebody to, to second guess going into the FedEx Cup playoffs. Somebody that could definitely win it. Uh, Scotty Scheffler had such a hot start to the year, you know, winning all those tournaments, Masters, you know, all this other stuff. He's competed, but it's almost like he's kind of taken a step back, I guess I would say. Um, I mean, finishing top five in like every other tournament you enter, it, granted, isn't bad. Um, but overall, he just kind of doesn't seem like he's the same player he was when he just ran away with the Masters and, and, and things like that. But um, definitely somebody that's still a threat to win the FedEx Cup. Uh, JT is right there. Spieth is, is on and off right now. But, um, you know, when it comes to FedEx Cup playoff times, it's nobody that you want to count out. And something that was kind of surprising to me is Patrick Cantlay is ranked in the top five in the FedEx Cup right now. Again, that's somebody that we, we didn't really talk about much this year. Uh, he was in contention at the RBC in uh, Hilton Head, finished second to his speed at a playoff. Um, he did win the, the Zurich Classic with uh, Xander Schauffele. He's been in contention for a few tournaments, but just not somebody who coming off of a FedEx Cup winning year, um, not the kind of season that we expected. But with that being said, He's playing consistently right now, and we're getting right ahead into the FedEx Cup, which he won last year. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun watching those last three tournaments. And it's going to be a lot of fun watching this weekend. A lot of people are, are thinking, you know, uh, it's a Wyndham Championship. You know, not a lot of big names are there. Why should I care? Um, there is a lot of storylines right there. Like you just said, Fowler is 123. Uh, Cameron Champ is 130. You know, it's, it's a battle to see who can make it in um, and, and, you know, even if you come in 125, you have a chance to go win the FedEx Cup. Uh, and, and it's really exciting. And my dog just won't stop barking. Get him, Leica. Nick, what are your thoughts on golf this past weekend um, and this this weekend at Wyndham and then the possibility of who's going to make FedEx and who's, what's your thoughts there? Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> to kind of touch on this past weekend, uh, you know, now is definitely on fire. Uh, still touching people. <clears throat> still touching people. <laughs> Uh, however, um, while I do think that he has great momentum and that he's been playing very consistent, uh, his two wins in a row have been less top heavy than, you know, what you would like to see as far as talent wise. However, going into the FedEx cup, it's great to get two wins in a row, get that, um, that confidence, that momentum built up. Like we talked about, uh, he won the St. Jude last year. So this is definitely a good spot for him to be sitting in um, and to make a run past the St. Jude. Uh, however, uh, or sorry, I didn't mean to say however, but you know this. I don't. I don't. I really don't know why I said it. Um, that that confidence that that he has gained and the the stability that he's shown the last two weeks while being in the lead. I mean, it, it wasn't easy. Like. He might have been in the lead for a decent while, but these last two weeks, he's had competitors nipping at his heels trying to track him down. So um, he's shown great poise, and I think that he's definitely going to be somebody dangerous um, to watch going into the FedEx. Yeah, so um, something else I wanted to talk about was, did you guys notice that a lot of, uh, I think it's almost now 10 people from Live Golf are uh, suing the PGA for wrongful termination, all these different things locking them out of FedEx Cup uh, championship, everything like that. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this goes 
Um, what, are, what are your guys' thoughts on that, Nick? Uh, yeah, I'll keep this relatively simple. While I can understand to an extent where they're coming from, um, you know, legally and whatnot, from a player to organization standpoint, you were straight up told that if you went to live golf, this was going to happen. And you chose to make the decision anyway. So, it, you know, it, from my point of view, they brought this on themselves, um, you know, win or play stupid games, win stupid prizes, wh- however you want to say it. Um, so I, I really don't see how they can get through this and end up on the winning side. Uh, but nonetheless, when it comes to legalities, I have no fucking clue what I'm talking about. So, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see how it all ends up for sure. George, what are your thoughts on that? Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Uh, pretty much the same thing Nick just said. Listen, you, you knew what the price was when you signed up. PJ came out before anybody even officially left and said, if you leave, we will, you know, suspend your tour card, whatever. You will no longer be a PGA tour you know, member. Um, they left, they know that, and they were perfectly fine with it. They, they came out and said, we're doing this because we want to go play less golf. And now here they are fighting because they want to play more golf now. And Liv came out a few weeks ago and announced, hey, you know, we're going from eight events. I think it's up to 14 or might be 16 now, um, which, again, uh, is nothing compared to what a lot of these PGA guys play. But, like, they know what they signed up for when they left it, and they need to get over that and stop fighting it. But at the same time, uh, there was one golfer, and I I can't remember his name, uh, and to be 100% fair, he was a nobody. But... Um, you know, he said the PJ Tours come out and said, listen, we are independent contractors. You know, this is why we don't have, you know, like a, a team plane or, or whatever you want to call it that will fly everybody to event, to event, to event. It's because we're independent contractors. And if you take away that desire to, you know, you know, having to pay your entry fee and, and needing to go out and make money so that you can travel to the next event, you kind of lose what golf was at the start. And while I do understand that, you can't use the term independent contractors and then be upset when these independent contractors want to go, you know, do other things like live. Um, right, uh, PGA Tour has, has done a lot to improve, uh, and that's what Live Golf, you know, set out to do. Um, I mean, at this point, I think Live Golf is like they got what they wanted, but now they're like, okay, we want more. Um, and Greg Norman's just a fuckwad, uh, to be 100% honest. Um, but there are definitely other things that PGA Tour can still improve upon. Um, and, and hopefully they see that and they can work towards it. But as far as this season goes, um, if, if I'm a live golf member and I'm one of the ones suing, they need to understand this is what you were told when you were left. If you want to fight this in court, you know, I, I don't think anything's going to be settled by the time that the FedEx Cup will start next week. I don't think anything's changing there. Um, but, you know, if going forward in, in you know, years future, um, we'll have to see. But yeah, you know what you were signing up for when you left. If you want to try and change it, that's fine. But uh, but another thing I found funny is everybody is saying, you know, if Phil Mickelson, you know, is deposed because he's suing them, like that shit's not off the record. So like no matter what he says, like it's it's gonna come out. And so everybody's um, making fun of that. But yeah, just I don't think it, not, nothing's changing this year. Uh, I, those guys will not play. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, another thing um, that I just wanted to hit real quick. So. I have noticed that you know, all these these players, especially some of the bigger names that left, um, 
they left because they thought that live golf was going to be, you know, how it was supposed to be when they said they were leaving. And now uh, I had seen something about how they were going to, I don't know if it starts this season or next season, or if it's even official yet, but how they were going to start basically cutting bottom performers and bringing in other people. Um, and also like George said, going from eight to 14 or 16 or whatever events. And now in my, or just from what I would think, like some of these players that said, oh yeah, I can go make, you know, all this money and only have to play in eight tournaments or, you know, maybe even less. And now they're like, oh, well, it's 14 tournaments. And oh, well now if I, you know, have a bad stretch or whatever, now I might get kicked. And like, you know, if you regret leaving the PGA tour, say you regret leaving the PGA tour, kind of like George just said, you know, if you make a mistake, own up to that shit and be like, yeah, that's my bad. But like, don't sit here and, and try to come at the PGA, you know, because you made a dumb decision. You know, that's my yes. So I think that a big thing that came out this week was, um, I'm not a fan of Greg Norman, but um, they had an interview and he had said that he confirmed that uh, somewhere between seven and eight hundred million dollars is what was offered to Tiger Woods to be the name, the face of Live Golf. Um, he also said that it's disrespectful that Jay, um, whoever the fucking president is of uh, PGA Tour, um, continues to refer to Live Golf as the Saudi-backed league. He doesn't, he doesn't call them by Live Tour at all. He just says the Saudi-backed league. Um, also, they went into like the, the stats and stuff, and 40 of the top 100 sponsors for the PGA Tour also have ties with Saudi uh, money, gas money and everything like that. So um, I, I think that if if this uh, lawsuit actually goes to court, like George had said, none of this is going to be sealed. So you're going to hear about how when Patrick Reed was suspended, why was he suspended? Because he'll be one of the people, a part of the lawsuit. Um, you're going to hear all the things that Phil Mickelson said, has to say about when he was big, basically blacklisted from everything at the start of this, um, there's, there's going to be a lot of things that come to light with this. And I think that it's all only bad for the PGA tour. I think that they have to try and nip this in the butt and, and not, not see this through in court because although it, they may win the money part of it, I don't think they're going to win in terms of like what people were able to put in the newspapers. And my um, biggest thing too, like the last thing I want to say about Luke, um, is like a lot of the PGA guys like have come on and said, like, listen, like we understand why these guys left. Like we get it. They want to go make the money. Like, and there's no hard feelings towards them. And it, like, especially the ones that are like, Hey, you know, I, I left. I took the money. Like, that's what it is. Their biggest thing is like, okay, you left. Like, wh why are you trying to drag this out more? Like we've been nothing but courteous. Like, it, especially from the player's point, like I understand like the people backing it, Greg Norman, you know, the PGA tour, uh, you know, head, head guys, whatever. They're having their fights, but the players themselves, Justin Thomas is like, listen, I have all the respect for DJ. You know, I have all the respect for Kepka. All the guys that left, listen, I get it. I understand. And now, like, they left, and they're like, well, and then they're just trying to start more shit. And it's just like, I know from from the players' perspective, at least, they're just getting fed up with it. Like, they were already sick and tired of it, as they you know, dealing with questions. Uh, but now they have to deal with this stuff on, on top of it, too. And I there's going to be a lot of fractured relationships across the board, no matter you know who it is, whether it's the, the people running it or players, whatever it may be, sponsors. Uh, it's across the board. This is not good for the game of golf. The game of golf has, has 
really seen a growth here over a couple of years. And I, I don't think it's going to stop people from going out and playing and like picking up the sport as a whole. I think the internet and social media will do a good enough job of getting new people to go out there and do it. Um, but in, in terms of viewership, people are going to get tired of watching golf because every five seconds you're going to see an announcer come across and talk about, well, this is going on over there and this is going on here. And it, it, people are just going to get sick of watching it and it's going to kill the sport. And I, I understand competition is good and I don't have a problem with, you know, a, a rival league popping up and, and it's not the issue I have. Um, it's both of these leagues need to sit down and realize our goal is to grow the game of golf. And I understand that you don't like me and I don't like you and that'll probably never change. But in the eyes of the public, we are ruining this sport and ruining this game. And, and it's going to do nothing but harm us in the future, no matter you know, how much money the Saudis throw at this league or how much money the sponsors throw at the PGA or whatever. At the end of the day, this isn't good for the game. And they need to sit down, realize that, and get the fuck over it and just move on. Just, just stop talking to each other. If somebody wants to leave for the live tour, fine. Go, leave. I don't care. If somebody wants to leave the live tour and go back to the PGA because they want to play in the FedEx Cup or, you know, if they get banned from these, these major tournaments or whatever, or who knows what's going to happen with that in the future, fine. But they need to realize they are past the point of trying to help the game of golf and they are doing nothing but killing it. Like I have had friends text me that I, alongside Nick, have got into golf this year. I'm like, listen, it's a really cool sport. And there's a Netflix show that's supposed to be along the lines of Drive to Survive this year. And hey, they picked a hell of a year and that might help get a couple more people interested in it. But in the long run, this is going to kill the sport at, at least you know, in, in the public eye as far as, you know, being like a nationally watched show or a nationally watched sports event, um, they, they both need to sit down and realize this is not good. They need to grow up and, and move on. And another point I want to make real quick, I forgot when I was talking about it, but <clears throat> think of, let's just say the NFL. If you're playing in the NFL, are you allowed to go out and play in the Canadian football league in the middle of the season? And then, Oh, my team made the playoffs. Let me come back and play in the playoffs. Like, no. And, you know, obviously in season is definitely a whole lot different, you know, out of season, you see people like say LeBron James just went and played in the drew league, which isn't even like an official league as far as NBA competitive or anything like that. But just as an example, it's unheard of. So, to sit there and say, yeah, I went over to this other league because I think it's better than the league I was playing in, but now I want to come back and play in the playoffs. It, it's ridiculous, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. Um, moving into some better, more uplifting content. <laughs> um, George and or I need maybe to for give, give a round of applause to Nick for breaking 100. I forgot we were talking about that. It was... Uh, uh, you get a, a two-clap. It was skeptical. Okay. Anyway. Uh moving on to NASCAR. <laughs> oh no, no, we George, can talk George, about it. No, George, George is just quiet as hell. George is like I said I give it two clap and I did. Yeah. Yeah. Listen. Okay, okay. So in case nobody heard Slade, because uh, he mumbles a lot. Um Oof. Nick Nick broke a hundred um playing golf the other day. And the reason I'm using air quotes and for the people listening, I use air quotes. hundred um, percent reasonable air quotes. Yeah, and I, I'm not hating on him, and he, he knows this, and we, we talked about it in a text message, is he didn't, you know, count, like, penalty strokes or anything like that, yeah. and we, I was talking, that is perfectly fine for where he's at. Nick just started, the first time he golfed was February when he went out with me, 
At least I, I think that might have been the first time. You might have golfed last fall. I can't remember. No, I, I went to the driving range That's one what time I mean. before that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so somebody that just started golfing in February um, to, you know, now we just started August, and he, you know, like we said, unofficially broke 100. He's not counting. But if, and this goes for anybody out there that's trying to learn golf and pick it up. Until you get to the point where you feel like you're ready to start making improvements, like going to the driving range more, taking lessons, getting, you know, fitted for clothes, whatever it may be. There is no reason, unless you were like in a tournament, um, you know, or, or, you know, you and your buddy want to have a competition. There is no reason to go out there and like keep 100%, like that's that score. Like for me, I played for years and I, I, I would cheat. I would not count my drops, whatever. If I got to eight, I just write down an eight sometimes like that. That's, and that's okay because if you do that, like if you sit there and, and I did it for the longest time too, and, and you're hard on yourself about, oh, I got to take a drop now. You get in yourself mentally and you ruin yourself. And then you're not going to want to play anymore. Like there were so many times I wanted to fucking quit playing golf because I would do that to myself. So, th- I mean, this goes out to, to anybody, but it, like, and you know, we're talking about with Nick, it's perfectly fine to do that. Like say it out today, he counted all his drops and stuff. He shot what, 115? That is okay. And like, I, I did that for a long time. And then finally I was like, okay, like I want to, I want to make myself better. I started counting all my drops. I shot a 124 this February. How the fuck I shot a 92 last week, whether it's municipal course or not, I don't know. But like, I have seen steady improvements in my game, but I've also been putting the work on the side. I've gone to the driving range. I've, I've putted a lot, you know, at, at the practice screens, whether it's at the course with the driving range, I've worked on my, like I've worked on what I need to work on. But at the same time, like I understand that, I'm seeing the results and, you know, every time I go out there, listen, when I broke 110 for the first time, the next round I went out, I shot a 120. I was like, what the fuck? And I know next time I go out, since I haven't played since I shot it, I'm probably going to shoot a 120 again. But it's um, – I'm very happy for Nick. I'm very proud of him. Like we said, he just picked this game up this year. Um, and this goes to anybody that's, that's trying to learn the golf game of golf. Don't be too hard on yourself to get started. Otherwise, you're going to hate this game and you're never really going to play it. And who knows, you know, not saying you can go out there and be a tour pro, but you can be a decent player and, you know, have a lot of fun playing this. And this is a game you can play for the rest of your life. Uh, like I, I went out, I've gone out a few times. I've seen dudes who are like nine years old, still whacking at the golf ball. Um, and it's no, there's no need to make yourself hate it now. So that way when you're 90, you're sitting on a couch doing nothing. You're like, oh, what the fuck am I going to do? You know, this is a game that you can play for the rest of your life. And so just go out and have fun with it until you're ready to try and take it more seriously. And even when you do, don't be upset because you're not good at it still. Like you you need to put a lot of work in lessons, you know, time at the range, stuff like that to really start to see improvements. Yeah. And and one thing we're moving into NASCAR is just for you guys that don't know, George shot that 92 on one of those soccer golf courses where the holes are two foot wide. (laughs) If that was the case, I probably would have shot a 60 the amount of fucking cuts I missed. One of my buddies, when I told him about it, he's like, he's like, man, he's like, must have been feeling pretty good. I was like, dude, I hit that round sober. I was like, I might have hit par if I wasn't <laughs> the influence of anything. Shit. Yeah, so it, it's we're all trying to get better, and uh, we're hoping to – the reason why we're all playing as much as we can is because next time we play it again – It'll be for the cup, and uh, so George is trying to look for some redemption. Nick is looking to try and steal it too, and I'm the just first looking to. The cup has an asterisk to it. All right, so we got to make the next round good. I'm just looking to, to keep it at the house. 
It's on top of the beer fridge right Listen, now. You let me know what, what weekend in August you have off, and all, all, all three of us See, are going George, to the cup. George is trying to have it happen quick, close to his 92, so that he can get that cup. No, I, no, I need to go play again before it. I play. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to get there. I'm going to shoot a 130. You're both going to be sure you didn't fucking cheat. All right, buddy. <laughs> yeah, me and Nick shoot 115s, and you shoot a 130. <laughs> I swear to God, I broke 100. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll go to Champs downtown afterwards and we'll forget about the whole round. Yep. Anyway. Get some audios, motherfuckers. Nick, have, <laughs> have you ever drank in State College? No. I guess I don't think you've been there since. So I've gone out, I think, three times to Slade in downtown and three times I've thrown up. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's no joke going. I mean, like, I, I went to college, but, like, I didn't go into, like, a college town. So, like, all of our – every time we went out drinking, it was, like, a house party. Like, there was no bars. Like, and I'm sure that, like, it's the same way, like, any any big, like, college town is, like, it's uh, – yeah. but it's, it's going to be a good time when we get together for the next Jack Wagon Cup. For sure. Um, So, we had the Indy Road course this past weekend. Oh. Uh, George put in the notes pretty much sums up the race. It was a shit show altogether. Uh, I, I was really surprised to see that Tyler Reddick has really taken his stance as as one of the uh, top road course racers now, just based on his finishes over the past two three years at road courses with the Xfinity Series and now the Cup Series. Um, he he, I I thought for sure Chastain was going to try and take him out. Chastain cut one of the corners, never even tried to make a right hand turn. He claims no. that it was three wide, and that you he wasn't going to make he- the turn. He hits the brakes, and I honestly God, never try to turn right. Though. No, I no, I understand. I would have done the same thing. He hit the brakes. He looked to his right, saw everybody just saying "fuck it" and shooting the turn. And then when he was like, "I'm not, I'm not damaging my car," and I understand that, but at the same time, you understand the rule, and it's been stated multiple times. Anytime you cut a chicane, whatever it is, if you take the access road, you need to come to a complete stop and then go. He just tapped the brakes and then kept going, and he, you know, ends up passing Reddick. We had no idea what the fuck's going on. Right. And but it was I'll let both of you talk about it here then. It's so weird. Anytime we go to a normal road course, Sonoma, uh, the Road America races, Watkins Glen, everybody knows how to run a road course. It's whenever we go to these like Robo type events, like you know, the Charlotte Robo or the Indy Road Course, where it's it's whether it's a built-in road course or not, it's just like it's it's not I, I, it's the normal layout. And these guys just race like they have never seen a right turn in their life. And granted, I understand, like, everybody keeps pointing at the Larson incident. His brakes failed. I don't, he literally said, coming out of the last turn, he's like, I got no brakes, guys. He's like, are my fans off? And by the next turn, he didn't know what to do, and he hit the brakes, and the shit did not stop. And he just said, well, and, you know, unfortunately, Ty Dillon gets taken out. But there were so many times guys just blew right past the turn, um, Keselowski did it a few times. Logano did it on the one restart, except watching that move, like, was watching one of us try to play a NASCAR video game. He pulled out, and he's like, there's no damage right now, so I'm just going to gun it in here, use a car to stop me, bounce off, and I'll keep going. It, and that, that's what we saw all day. We saw it happen multiple times on what I would call the backstretch. I think it was, like, turn 11. Um, you know, he had done that long straight, but you got to make that quick left. Uh, Kevin Harvick got taken out by Alex Bowman and like four other dudes who just couldn't stop and just wrecked each other. And I was pissed off because I had $2 on him to finish in the top 10. 
and you know he gets taken out. But it was just so abnormal to see. Like it, they kept saying on the on the broadcast, these are the best stock car racers in the world. Buddy, I could run my fucking Volkswagen Passat around that track better than these douchewagons. Like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, it's one thing to have, like, a couple wrecks, like, hey, this guy missed a chicane or missed a turn and, you know, hit a guy, whatever. They were just straight up blowing by turn one. And it's – you had practice this year, whether it's the the 20, 30-minute session, whatever it was, you had a practice session. You had a qualifying session. And you had – like 80 laps of a race to figure it the fuck out. But no, we go to a green white checkered. And I think they did two of them because people couldn't figure it the fuck out. It was just so mind boggling to watch this. But they just kept talking to the radio or the, the TV. Oh, these are the best stock car drivers in the world. And then I've seen everybody tweeting afterwards like, oh, that was such a great race. It, was so, it wasn't a good fucking race. Watching 30 cars take each other. Like if I wanted to watch that, I would go to the local short track and watch the demolition derby. Like, I want to watch people race as hard as they can. I don't, you can rub each other. You can bump. I don't care if you dump a dude going into turn one because you want to get by him. I understand. Like, to then me, that is racing. But just straight up not understanding where a breaking zone is after 30 fucking laps, let alone five, was just absolutely absurd to me. And like, I was just in there and I would, as soon as the first greenway checker came up, I was like, this is going to be horrible. And everybody's tweeting, like, oh, let's just have a good restart. They haven't had a good fucking start all day. It was not going to happen now. And sure enough, Logano jumped out from like 30th place and said, I, I'm not going to touch the brakes the last second. And just fucking T-boned everybody. And then from there, just a shit show. And I, it was so pathetic to watch. And I was just so sick of everybody. Oh, dude, it was such a good race. It was so cool to watch. No, it's not. But that's, I'll, I'll go all night if, if you don't stop me now. So Nick, what were your thoughts on this past weekend? Yeah. Um. I didn't get to watch the NASCAR race and the only thing uh, you guys pretty much summed up everything that I had heard about it and seen for what I, you know, looked up. Um, the only comment I have is about the IndyCar race. Rossi, my favorite driver, finally got a win for the first time in like three years. Yeah. And gets 20 points taken away for, I, I didn't fully understand what had happened. Something with the weight. Um, yeah, he put so a water he, bottle in his car that had yeah. an no, excessive well, amount of weight in it. No. So your, your race car is supposed to weigh X amount. And his car was like a pound under that weight, but when his water bottle was in the car, it weighed enough. And so they, you, but you're not supposed to count that. And yeah, so definitely. that's that's all it was. But yeah, I, I mean, kind of figured it. Like from what I read, it was somewhere along those lines. But I was like, are we? Yeah. Serious? Uh, listen, I'm not. I'm not an engineer. I don't know how much a fucking a pound or whatever a water bottle weighs would make a difference. Um, but uh, a lot of people are like, listen, it's the same as putting tape on the. The front nose, but um, whatever. So, so I think that this past weekend, like George was saying, I, I didn't like the way that, that the race went. Um, I think there's two ways that a road course should be run one, it should be someone wins by fucking 13 seconds because they had the best pitch strategy and they just outran everyone with their with their car. They came with with the fastest car on the track and they had a good strategy, which is how Reddick should have won. And, and the second way would be the way that. Chase Elliott actually got his first win where him and Martin Truex are just flying around the corners at Watkins Glen for five laps. And they're just like whipping it around the turtle shells and everything like that. Um, I think that it's usually either someone wins by five to 10 seconds, or there's like two cars up there that are fighting for the win. Um, 
it's usually not where there's a possibility of 16 cars to win the race. Um, another weird thing is just, I mean, I was working during the race, so I was just getting updates and stuff and watching videos. But just to look at the scoreboard after the race, here's the top 10. Tyler Reddick's first, Austin Cindric second, Harrison Burton third, Todd Gilliland fourth, Bubba Wallace fifth, then you had Logano sixth, AJ Allmendinger seventh. That's the only person there other than Reddick that I would have thought would have been in the top 10 because he is a road course driver. Michael McDowell eighth, Cole Custer ninth, and Chris Buescher tenth. Yeah. I mean, well, so the, the crazy, so, so Buescher real quick, his car was on fire at one fucking point. Yeah. Like he, he came down, pitted, his car caught on fire. They put out the fire. He had to pull out before I think he lost a, a third lap. Yeah. Or they were trying to keep him from going a lap down. He pulled back in. Uh, they, they had to spend time blowing the whole car out because he literally couldn't breathe. And mm-hmm. he couldn't get out of the car, though, while I did that, because if he gets out of the car, he's out of the race. Um, and so he, he ended up going two laps down, makes both of those laps back, and then ends up finishing top ten just because people can't drive. But, uh, you know, AJ, you had A.J. Allmendinger, too, who was in contention at one point. He was battling for the lead, but uh, I believe his, like, his cooling suit failed. And it was not a, a – the worst part about that was they said the cooling thing weighs 20 pounds on his chest yeah, so it, since the fluid wasn't moving it's just sitting on his chest boiling water at this point because inside the car is like 100 to 100 160 degrees or something like that yeah. and so it's just boiling water laying on top of his chest so i mean the fact that he was able to even keep that thing in contention to win let alone finish in the top 10 was yeah. amazing but like I feel really bad for Ryan Blaney. Granted, he's he's okay as of now on points. Um, we're going to Michigan this week. It'll be interesting to see how these new cars race there. Is it going to be pack racing? Is it going to be like the old school Michigan, which I kind of hope it gets to, where you know you have three, four good cars who are just you know back and forth all day, but it's it's not you know super spread out. They're they're kind of close together. Um, you know we'll, we'll have to wait and see how it reacts. But like uh, we still have Watkins Glen coming up, which again. I don't understand it, but normal road courses, everybody's fine. But you have a couple of guys normally towards the back who just are not good road course racers. Yeah, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to hit the barriers, whatever it may be. But as soon as we go to like a a, a normal racetrack that's got reconfigured into a, a road course, everybody just forgets how to drive. I don't know. Um, but then the very last race of the regular season is Daytona. So there's definitely two wild card races coming up. I wouldn't, I guess not label Watkins Glen a wild card as much unless it comes down to pitch strategy. Yeah, I feel like there's only five guys that can win there. Yeah, but I mean, who knows? Maybe they pit Bubba Wallace with, you know, five laps over the fuel a minute. He just saves enough and ends up winning. Something like that. That's why I I still consider road courses, I guess, enough of a wild card. Uh, But Daytona absolutely is. And then, like I said, we just need to wait and see what Michigan's like. Um, But uh, it's... This, this past weekend just let the sour taste in my mouth watching that because I was super excited to see it. Um, and I don't know, it just was not the race I thought. And I'm very glad Reddick won. Reddick had the best car by, by a mile. Um, you know, after the Ross Chastain cutting the corner and somehow ending up ahead of him, he gets by him and it still beat him by two seconds. And that was a green-white checker, which means when Chastain passed them, they, they got the green, they came around, they took the white, and then he – pulled away by two seconds over him and they got, you know, anybody in second in a lap. Like, he absolutely, and if my, my only complaint as far as NASCAR's governing body this, this weekend 
I feel like they did everything else fine. But they, they it should have been like a five-second review of Chastain and Austin Dillon did it too. But watch the review. He didn't stop. Okay, you need to say while the race is going on, the one is penalized, the three is penalized. Because Christopher Bell didn't know what was going on. Is he penalized? Is he not? Do I race him? Do I need to move him? Or should I just, hey, you know, Reddick's gone. Do I just hang out? I'm going to get Yeah, at this point, he might be slowing him down. And he doesn't know if he's the one that he needs to pass. Right. And, you know, for half a lap, Reddick's behind him. And he's like, he even said in his interview, he's like, I had no clue what to do. He's like, I didn't know if I would, if I should race him hard and try and get by him. Or if, like, hey, he's going to get penalized anyway. Let's not tear up my race car. Let's not wreck. And let's just, you know, try and get by him the right way. Um, so that's my biggest complaint as far as NASCAR. They need to be a little bit quicker with that and, and saying, hey, the one's penalized. You know, he, he's not you know, in first place, second place, whatever he was in, you know. Um, and the other thing, the interview with him after the race was just, just kind of dumb. I mean, they're like, oh, you know, did you do that on purpose? He's like, I mean, yeah, kind of. He's like, I, I saw what's going on in turn one. He's like, I didn't want to get taken out, so I, I bailed out, took the access road. And then they're like, was was that the strategy all along with, you know, you and your crew chief came up with? He's like, are you just going to cut the turn? And the guy's like, why the fuck would that? Like, no. And, like, listen, I love Dave. Dave Burns is a great pit reporter, but he asked that question. Like, are, you, are you fucking serious? Like, yeah. Oh, they, saw, they sat there and thought about it over a week. Listen, if we're – Third or further back, we're just gonna cut turn one on the last restart, and, and it's like okay, but not a terrible strategy if you know you're gonna get away with it. I just want to put that out there. But yeah. <laughs> which crazier things have happened with the rules recently? And someone can lose a tire, and it's a twenty thousand uh, dollar fine, and you lose half your team for a couple of weeks, and someone else loses it, and they're like, you know what? We're gonna let you start at the front of the pack this lap. <laughs> Um, I think I, I'm most excited to hear from Kyle Larson this week. Uh, Hendrick released that, I mean, the cars are so advanced now that they have black boxes like an airplane. And so when they hooked the box up, when they got back to, to Charlotte, um, it showed that Kyle Larson never lost his brakes. Never once did his brakes fall. Uh, he just got into the turn late and got the car out of sorts when he tried to cut the turn. Uh, they said that it, it's a mistake on his part and that none of their equipment failed. So I don't know if that's them trying to cover on their equipment or, I mean, because they really shit on Kyle Larson there with that <laughs> statement. Uh, and so I'm just anxious because I'm sure if Dave Burns is asking Chastain if the plan was to cut that turn for a week, um, then I'm sure that someone's going to ask Larson what, what happened actually there because he literally used Ty Dillon as a fucking wall like, uh, what's his name? Edwards. Like Edwards tried to use the wall for the slide job. What was it like be, seven years ago? To be a hundred percent fair, that's all Ty Dillon really is out there in the race course. Oh, he was a wall. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, granted, he actually was having a, a decent run on, on Sunday. And listen, he he knows he's not racing anymore past the season. He's just trying to you know have something he's proud of. But no matter who you are, it, it's not fun to get one hundred percent blindsided like that. And uh, I know they said, like, right after the accident, they, you know, they interviewed Ty Dillon, and, you know, he's, he's like, listen, Larson came up, we talked, we're good, and, like, you know, now, with this information coming out, I don't know if that's still the case, but, um, you know, they tried to interview Larson, Larson's like, no, I just want to go talk to my guys and, and see what happened, and so he didn't get interviewed after the race. Right, so, that's why I'm anxious yeah. to see this upcoming week. Yeah. Um, do you guys see a new winner coming at, at Michigan this weekend? We have no idea how the cars are going to be on the track. 
we have there's a lot of unknowns until practice happens on I'm I'm assuming Saturday morning probably between so, yeah. uh qualifying for the Xfinity series and the race. Um, um I I see a first time winner this season. Uh Ryan Blaney always runs really good here. Um this is a trick. Bubba Wallace has been putting together really good runs here and his momentum is building. I could easily I I don't want to say easily, but I can see him winning. Um, and again, if it comes out of fuel strategy, uh, whatever it may be, his team needs to gamble right now. They know that they're not going to points their way into the playoffs at this point. They need a win. Um, Harvick, again, another name that has always run really well at Michigan. Swordhouse Racing cars have not been what they were two, three years ago. Um, but in their hometown. Yeah. Um, they have Briscoe's win earlier this year, but again, you have seen steady improvements all season, and Harvick has been in the top ten unless he gets you know taken out or you know something stupid happens on pit road. Um, so I, I can see him again if it comes on the fuel strategy, but just straight up racing. He 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 loves Michigan and he's really good there. Um, so I am going to go out and say that we're going to have a first time winner this season. I don't want to say like you know a rookie like Harrison Burton is going to win it. He might, but uh, I definitely I, I see position number 15 in the playoff standings being locked up this week. Nick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I kind of agree with George. I mean, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen, like you guys said, so it could go either way. We could have, you know, a rookie win. We could have a first-time this season winner. We could have somebody who's won three races already win. Um, I, I personally think, I mean, as we're getting down to crunch time, if somebody's going to cement their spot in the playoffs, this weekend, in my opinion, is probably the best weekend for somebody to have a chance to do it. Um, so I think I'm going to go ahead and, and, and say, yeah, I think we're going to see a first-time season winner get that last spot locked up um, and probably create chaos for the last two weeks just because nobody's going to give a shit, but whatever. They, yeah, so. if, if there's, I'm sorry, if there's one spot left at Daytona, oh my, yeah, I, I think it's going to be an utter, complete shit show. Yeah, so, so I think I kind of disagree with you guys. I don't think that there's going to be a new winner this weekend. Um, I think that, uh, first off, I, I don't think that Ford's been very fast at track where you need speed. I think that they just had their best weekend of the season this past weekend at a, a road course, and that's because half the field was being taken out every other lap. Um, we're seeing guys from in the 30th place in points in the top 10 this past weekend. So there were six Fords that placed in the top 10 this past weekend, and that's the best they've done all season. Um, I think that, like George said, I think Kevin Harvick and Ryan Blaney are going to be the two best finishing boards. I just don't see them getting it done. And I, I think that Martin Truex is going to get it done at Watkins Glen. I think that everyone's going to be looking at Elliott and Reddick, and I think that he's going to be the dark horse for that track. So I could see him getting a win there. I just don't see a new winner this weekend. Um, this is going on very long. We definitely need to get into some football talk. <laughs> Here's the last thing I'll say about the racing. Um, it's going to be, like I said, I think Blaney can win this week. If Truex wins at Watkins Glen, and so all 16 spots are locked up, and then another like person wins at Daytona. It, I think Kurt Busch will be out. Yeah, it's, it's going to be. Who's sitting out again this weekend? We didn't even talk yeah. about that. Ty Gibbs will start for a third weekend. Um, so this is probably the, it's fucking time. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is probably the, uh, the, the most excited we are of all of we, the we might need a second episode this week. Cause this is, yeah. Um, 
So I just want to start it off with something not Big Ten related. It came out this morning. Nick Saban. Is it another? I was, is it, I was no, say, no, no, is no, another no, no, dude no. that killed somebody. No, no, no. So after yeah, making six of, of <laughs> yeah, after making six of the last eight national championships, Nick Saban came out this morning and stated that he's excited for this year after last year's building year. Um, after taking second in the fucking playoff championships, uh, losing only to Georgia, he states that last year his team was not ready to be in that position and that they were lucky to be there and that last year was a building year for Alabama and that this year is, is they're going to be their best year in the last three years is what he states. This, this is because we have the SEC preview in a couple weeks, so we'll, we'll talk about this more then. Um, this, if you want your program – to be like Alabama, you need a coach like Nick Saban, where excellence is is not what you want to achieve. Excellence is the baseline. Um, and, you know, a lot of I've, I saw the same video you did, and everybody's reacting like, oh my God, you finished. Like, how could you say that? Like, no, like it's at Alabama, it's to the point now where it's national championship or bust. Georgia is starting to become the same way. And you need, if you want your program to reach that level, Ryan Day came out and said the same thing. Listen, 11-win season, okay. Rose Bowl, okay. We're here to win Big Ten championships and go, you know, win national championships. And while I have my reservations about Ryan Day as a whole, and we'll talk about Ohio State here in a minute, um, you need a coach like that where excellence just isn't what you want to achieve. Excellence needs to be the baseline. And, you know, a lot of coaches preach that. And, you know, you, you say that. I know when I went to college, I heard the same thing. And, you know, I thought, you know, that's whatever. Um, you know, my, my college coach did a great job of saying, listen, you know, good or and even great isn't good enough. You know, if, if you want to play at the college level, if you want to win conference championships, national championships, no matter what level you're at, you need to be excellent in absolutely every single thing you do. And Nick Saban has, has talked the talk and walked the walk the most. And so I'm not surprised that he said that. And I know his team back in Tuscaloosa is sitting there going, fuck. Like, we thought we did good last year, and now we're just – he's going to ride their ass so hard. And, you know, you're going to see the Knicks say that you saw a couple years ago screaming at his OC because they're only blowing out a team by 40 rather than it should yeah. be 60 to nothing. Um, and so that, that, that's all I want to – I know that's that's a lot, but that, that that's the coach you want at, at your program. If, if you are, you know – a team that has, hey, you know, we, we've been close to the playoffs. We made the playoff a time or two, uh, but we're just not there yet. That's why Alabama is Alabama. Um, and, and so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, like you said, I, it's hard to add to that other than um, this is coming off a season where last season was the first season Nick Saban has ever lost to someone that coached underneath him before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's well, up to like twice. 15. Yeah, I think it's up to 15 now. He's He's got like 15 or 16. Um, games against previous coaches and like Georgia just said he he lost twice he lost um to Kirby Smart and I think Jimbo Fisher was the other one correct yeah. um so we'll talk about them more like George said into the Big Ten the the big eyes everything is on Ohio State um is Ohio State unbeatable this season Nick what are your thoughts on Ohio State the season they had last year Ryan Day is coming out like George had said trying to kind of emulate Nick Saban with his talk and can he walk the walk this season? What are your thoughts there? Uh, yeah, so I'm going to keep it small first. So on paper in the Big Ten, yes. It, it, on paper, I don't think there's a single team that should beat Ohio State. 
um, in the Big Ten. Nationally, um, you know, you could definitely debate Alabama, Georgia, whatever. Um, however, on the field is a different story. Uh, maybe even on the field in the Big Ten, you could still say yes, but on the field nationally, definitely a different story. Um, we've seen numerous times over the last couple years that Ohio State has a great team and they turn around and either they lose an unexpected game in the Big Ten or they make it to the playoffs and completely shit the bed in the playoff game, um, whatever the situation may be. Uh, what, and again, you know, George touched on Ryan Day earlier. I He did not. He did not. He did. I seen him. I But, you know. uh, Like to strike that from the questioning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have my reservations, like George said. Um, I I think that he's a good coach, kind of like George just talked about with Nick Saban and all that. Um, My coach in high school always told us, good is the enemy of great. And when you're talking about these top-level teams, you could even say great is the enemy of elite. You can think that you're so good, but it doesn't matter once you step onto the field. And like I said, we've seen a couple times here that Ohio State has, you know, fallen apart. Fallen apart is not necessarily the right word, but lost games that they shouldn't have lost or just couldn't quite live up to what they thought they were going to be and end up losing their playoffs. So I'm definitely interested to see if they can put it together this season, um, like many people have thought they have in the past. Uh, So thank God. Here in a few weeks, we'll start to find out. George, what are your thoughts on Ohio State this season? Um, coming off a pretty impressive Rose Bowl season last year, um, do you think that they're unbeatable this year? They started off tough with uh, Notre Dame at home first game of the yeah. season. Um, I'm going to do a little bit more in-depth with Nick because um, I know he's going to talk about it more later, but here's what I have on them uh, for this. Uh, like Nick said, on paper, they, they should run the table here. Uh, C.J. Stroud returns. He threw uh, with a 71.9 completion percentage last year, 4,000, almost 4,500 yards, uh, 44 touchdowns, and only six interceptions. He is the Heisman. I believe he's the odds favorite right now for the Heisman, um, but he's definitely getting a lot of hype for the Heisman. Uh, Trayvon Henderson returns. Um, he showed flashes of greatness last year. Their O-line wasn't what I, what I would say you'd normally expect at Ohio State, uh, and now they lose two of their, their best. Uh, starters from last year, but I think the line will improve this year, and with a like a huge passing attack because I, and I, I feel like a lot of people would agree with this. I think Ohio State probably has the best receiving core, um, arguably in the country, but you know absolutely in the Big Ten. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, but th- their biggest question mark is the defense. Um, you, you think back to last year, the Oregon game, CJ Burdell gashed the shit out of him, ran all over him. Uh, Michigan did the same thing, uh, ran all over them, and those were their two big losses on their resume last year. And um, so they get a new D.C. this year, though. Uh, he comes over from Oklahoma State, uh, Jim Knowles. Uh, he had the Cowboys last year as a number four total defense in the country and a number five rushing defense, so hopefully he can improve that. Uh, and, and, you know, if Ohio State can shore up their defense, they can absolutely be one of the best teams. Um, as far as their schedule, they do get a couple breaks. Uh, like we said, they get Notre Dame and Michigan, uh, but they're both at home, uh, as well as Iowa and Wisconsin at home. Uh, their big question marks are on the road. Uh, Michigan State and Penn State, but luckily with the Penn State game, it's not the whiteout. You know, we talked about it uh, a week ago, I believe. Um, the whiteout just adds a different effect. Uh, I think if Ohio State can get out early, 
I know the Penn State fans, they don't like to show up early for the games, and I get that. But um, avoiding the weight on, I think, is the biggest thing. Uh, my, I guess, trap games I have for them this year, like we said, on paper, they should run the table. But um, they get Michigan State on the road, who always puts up a tough fight. Uh, that'll most likely be a night game. That um, might as well be as bad as a whiteout. Uh, but they also have a road game at Maryland the week before they play Michigan. Um, that can absolutely be a trap game for them. Uh, I believe it was a few years ago. Maryland took them to overtime at home. But this is also the week before they play Michigan. So maybe they, they get caught with their minds looking ahead a week. You know, think about revenge on Michigan for beating them last year. Um, but it, it comes down to Ryan Day as a coach. Uh, he's had sluggish starts, you know, at the beginning of the year. And Notre Dame capitalized on that. Notre Dame has had sluggish starts too, but they have a brand new head coach. Um, Ryan Day has kind of handed a little bit of the offense over uh, to you know his OC more so this year because in the past his offense would, would just get stale. I, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, and, and you know that, that was their biggest problem. Um, but you know he, he's handing a little bit more of the offense over. Uh, you know he's got a new defensive coordinator who hopefully improve the defense if he can have the results that he had at Oklahoma State last year this team might be the best in the country, period. Um, but at, like, like they said, on paper, I think they go undefeated. But, you know, we need to see how they, how they actually play. Yeah, so I don't think that Ohio State goes undefeated. I think that it's just an every season thing that an Iowa or a Purdue who ends up being 7-6 and six or 7-5, and five, whatever, they end, whatever they end up being, they just somehow pull a win out against someone like this. I think this season that's going to be Michigan State or Penn State. I think I understand, like George had said, with the I, I think that they're still going to make it a stripe out game. They're going to somehow trying to we still have like half the show to do. It's going to get they're, a lot. they're going to somehow try to. I mean, like you had said, it's the only way for them to get a level playing field with someone like Ohio State. If you're Penn State, same with Michigan State. Um, I think that Michigan plays that Michigan State plays them early enough in the season that they they could get. Um, a squeak one by them, uh, especially being at home for Michigan State. Uh, I, I just don't see Ohio State winning out. Um, I do have a couple of possibilities of how Ohio State still makes the playoffs with one loss. Um, I even have a possibility of them having a loss and making the playoffs without even being in the Big Ten Championship. Um, it's, it's just, I, I think, like you guys had said, I think Ryan Day just, I almost think it's going to come out eventually that he's a control freak. I think you had said that he is willing to give up some of the offensive control, but I think it's going to come down to the quarterback's going to throw an interception or um, they're going to run the ball when they should have passed or something, and he's just going to grab the clipboard and be like, fuck you, like, I'm, I'm doing this. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I 100%. This is Ryan Day's put-up-or-shut-up year. Right. You know, he, he got handed the keys from Urban Meyer, uh, and you could argue those teams are really good on paper, but, you know, they did have their flaws. They made it to the national championship one year. They got – basically blown out by Alabama. But he, he, like I said, he has arguably the best receiving core. Uh, he has, you know, the Heisman, I guess, front runner at this point, you would put it. Um, and, you know, a hopefully improved defense. So he, this is the year he has all the tools. He, he has the team he needs to make a national championship run. If he doesn't make the playoffs, I think there, there becomes a lot of questions. Like, like I said, on paper, they go undefeated. But like you said, you know, there, there's always that one game a year. If Ryan Day can keep his team from losing that one stupid game a year, 
then you know I, I I will back off my 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 hate of it. But like you said, it always just seems like there's that one team that trips it up. It, like you said, it's it's either Purdue or Michigan State. Like I said, I had Michigan State and Maryland circled on my Big Ten schedule for Ohio State as far as teams that I think can can trip them up. And I, I still have them making the playoffs even with one loss because I don't think they're not losing to Michigan this year. Unless Michigan pulls a rabbit out of their hat, they're not beating Ohio State at Ohio State with the hatred Ohio State has, especially for what happened last year. Like, they didn't just lose close. Like, they got basically ran out of Ann Arbor. And that was the first, granted, it's the first time in however many years it's happened and all that other stuff. But um, and I just don't see the same Michigan team this year. So I have Ohio State winning that. I have them going to the Big Ten Championship, and I have them winning it. So I, I have them going to the playoffs unless, like I said, if they can't get their season going off on the right foot, like they, they've had trouble in the past. Now, th- I think this is – I can't remember the last time Ohio State had, like, a big game week one. Last year they played Oregon, it was week two. Um, and so this will be a week one. Like, you, you don't get a, a Miami of Ohio week one or, or an Akron or something like that to, you know, warm up before you get into a big game. Like, you get Notre Dame week one. And like I said, Notre Dame has definitely had their issues in the past where – you know, that they, they get to a sluggish start. You got a brand new coach who, who knows how to talk to his, his players and get his team ready. Can he do that week one? Can he have the team ready week one? And, you know, catching Ohio State that still, for some reason, just can't get out of the gate. And then if they lose a game in the Big Ten, then, yeah, you have a two-loss team who is going to be really hard to argue, you know, deserves to get into the playoff. Um, so, yeah, like I said, on paper, I have Ohio State as one of the top four teams in the country. Um you know, without a shadow of a doubt. It comes down to, can Ryan Day, with all the tools, can, can he coach this team, you know, to, to a playoff, to a, a national championship berth, um, and, and so on. So, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. And, and like Nick and I said, on paper, yep. But, yeah, there is always that one one game a year where they just – and like I said, that's why I have Maryland circled. It's a week before they play Michigan. It's on the road. And for some reason, Maryland always plays out of their ass freaking whenever they play a, a big name team so yeah so i mean moving into the next part which rolls right with this do you think that two big 10 teams can make the playoffs this year i mean we talked last week about how um we don't really see it as that promising for the acc to make it um unless they're an undefeated team is what we we all kind of all agreed on that the acc winner was going to have to be undefeated for a good chance at making it into the playoffs. Um, do we see two teams making it from the Big Ten? George, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I don't have two Big Ten teams making it. While I, I do think overall the conference is improving, uh, and especially in the eyes of the committee, you know, in a couple of years they're adding USC, UCLA, and, you know, who knows who else. Um, I, I think the committee would favor that more so over, like, an ACC school, like we said. Um they're not on the same level as a SEC school, I guess. Uh, and to do you know, the Big Ten's credit, it's 100% because they just beat the shit out of themselves. Like, you know, in the SEC, or the, excuse me, the Big Ten West, um, you have so many schools that can win it. it. Nobody in the Big Ten West is going undefeated. You might have a, a one-loss team to make the conference championship. If they win it, who knows, they might get in. Uh, as far as the East, um, I think you absolutely need to run the table. Uh, or, or at the very least have one loss. Uh, the only two teams I could see, you know, running the table or having one loss and going to the Big Ten Championship would be Ohio State or Michigan. Um, and if they want to get a second team in, it needs to be 
a one loss, and that loss needs to be the conference champion. So if Michigan loses in the very last week, um, and you say they, they come into the Ohio State game, they're ranked number two, Ohio State's, you know, three or something. Um, Ohio State beats them, they go to the Big Ten Championship, and they advance. As long as that's, you know, whatever, you know, the one loss team is, that's their only loss, and they make it close, like we said this last week, like the ACC, it, it, it needs to be like a very close loss to a very good school. Um, I have Michigan State as another possibility, uh, but they, along with Michigan, they have a cakewalk non-conference schedule. So if they do that one loss, uh, that's something that I know the committee would hold against them over like a one-loss Big 12 champion, Pac-12 champion, ACC champion, whatever, um, just because they, they play nobody in, before they start their conference play. Uh, and unless they get like a huge statement win, like blowing Ohio State out or like a Penn State or like a Michigan, Michigan State, if they blow their rival out by a lot and, you know, that, that they have a close loss to whoever becomes the eventual champion, that's the only way I see that happening. And I don't see that happening. Um, so, yeah, I only have one team making it from the Big Ten this year. Nick, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm going to say possibly. I- I can't sit here and say for certain one way or the other, um, but I think about, and I'm not necessarily saying that they will do it or that they can do it, um, but like I look at Penn State's schedule, for example, at Auburn, at Michigan, Ohio State at home. Um, if they can win, if, uh, before George gets all excited I, here, I'm just, I, heard I, the I, I could, I could see it in your eyes. Me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, if they can come back from Auburn and Michigan with wins, and keep it close with Ohio State, and then Ohio State goes on to win um, the Big Ten Championship in Penn State, if they're sitting at that one loss. Um, it, that's really – the way Michigan and Michigan State's schedules line up, I don't really think um, that one of them could make it in. Uh, again, if it happens to be a very close loss to Ohio State and Ohio State goes on to win it, there's a possibility that either of those teams could. But like I said, the way Michigan and Michigan State set up, I don't see it the same way, but with Penn State going at Auburn, at Michigan, if they can come out of those two games with a win and only lose to Ohio State, maybe. But I, I personally don't think that it's going to go down that way, but that's the best chance that I see for any team other than Ohio State. Unless Ohio State happens to shit the bed this year, then obviously Big Ten East is wide open, but let's be honest, that's probably not going to happen. So. See, here's the thing, just real quick. I can't say too much shit about Penn State as a team because – we do Oregon, or we do the Pac-12 in two weeks, and we're going to end up talking about Oregon. <laughs> and you guys are going to be shit then. So, like, if I, if I don't hate Penn State. Like, you and I both said the other day, they're not going undefeated this year. Like, it's, it's yeah. very they, – they just don't have the team around them. But if, I, no, nothing's impossible. Unless and the Ohio State one bad game happens to be against them and they went in there undefeated, maybe. Yeah. But <laughs> – Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that there's only uh, a couple scenarios that – there's two teams from the Big Ten that make it in, and I think that, that is if Ohio State is the one-loss team that gets there. I think Ohio State has a weird way with their schedule this year in that they play Wisconsin, who could come out on the other side and win, uh, make it into the Big Ten championship. So, I mean, Ohio State could destroy Wisconsin during the regular season, just beat them by 20, 30 points, and then lose to one of the three, Ohio State, or I mean, uh, Michigan State, Michigan, or I mean, this is just for me and Nick, Penn State. Um, and so if one of those three teams then run the table and go undefeated on the season, beat Wisconsin, um, and they one of those teams only beat Ohio State by, say, a field goal, 
then there's reason to say Ohio State deserves to be in also because they lost by three points and they crushed the shit out of the other team that took second in the Big Ten, you know? Right. Um, so I think that that's the only way that the two teams get in. I don't think that uh, Michigan State or Michigan or even Penn State get in not making the Big Ten championship. I think Ohio State is the only team that could not make the Big Ten championship and make it in as the second team, yeah. uh, just uh, based on schedule, uh, like George had mentioned, with uh, a non-conference schedule. So I'm just, so the year Penn State made the Rose Bowl when they played USC, I know they won the, the Big Ten, but did Ohio State make the playoffs that year? I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, so, like, think, so thinking back to Yeah, the, Penn State beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship. Yeah. But Ohio State, this exact situation, Ohio State blew Wisconsin out during the season, yeah. made it in. So, so this, well, it, so Penn State didn't get in that year because I remember they had two losses. So, I, but I right. have it, it it's going to shake down basically the same way. Yeah. It's going to come down to selection, to conference championship weekend. So, like, a, a one loss Ohio State team is, you know, third going into conference championship, but they're not going to the Big Ten Championship. Um, it, it's going to come down to, to sitting around and waiting. Okay, we need, and it's going to be much like last year. Like, listen, we need Oklahoma State to lose their championship game. Um, we need Georgia to beat Alabama, and you know Alabama's now going to have two losses. To, it's it's going to come down to it. It needs a like a perfect storm scenario to get another Big Ten team in over like a second SEC team, like we've seen for so many years now, or, or like a, another conference champion getting in. Like if we head in the conference championship week. And Oklahoma State's four, and Baylor's five, and then like a Michigan is uh, six. Um, you know, whoever like wins that game, we know is getting in, and, and you know Michigan's gonna be sitting there at five. Um, and they had the perfect storm last year, but you ended up the very last game of the night. You had Alabama beating Georgia, and so you got two SEC teams in. And so I, I just feel like it's gonna be much of that same thing, where it's like it's gonna come down to that SEC championship, but. They're gonna fuck it around somehow, and two SEC schools are yeah. gonna get it. So that, that's why I have it is no more so. Yeah, it, it always comes down to like a perfect storm scenario, and it just it, it never works out. Whether it's the, the Big Twelve championship or the SEC or whatever it may be. And I think that, like you had said, I think the only way that that works out is I think I'd name three schools, but I think the best school for that to happen would be Michigan. I yeah. think if Ohio State goes undefeated on the season, Michigan goes undefeated on the season, and they play each other um, last week of the regular season. And Michigan squeaks out a win by a field goal. Uh, let's say before that game, Ohio State's ranked second in the nation, and Michigan's ranked fourth. What do you do with the rankings at that point? You know, um, Michigan goes on, beats Wisconsin or whoever is in the other side. Um, and so then, that, I, I think that that would be the perfect storm that you're talking about. Uh, I think that would be the only opportunity that happened. Um, so moving into MVPs or, yeah, MVPs, Heismans for the year. Who from the Big Ten do you guys think has the best chance at uh, being a Heisman candidate this season? Nick? Yeah, so I took – You guys just want to go together or yeah. – Yeah, I, we could, really. <laughs> um, I, I'll keep mine simple since George is going to talk about the same thing. Um, I, I took Stroud out of it because he's sitting as the favorite, um, and he's the obvious choice. We don't like obvious choices around here. So um, when I think about a Heisman, I think of someone who's the centerpiece of their team success. Now, obviously, football's a team game. Everybody needs to do their part. But you see these great teams. There's usually one or two people that you know without them, they would be a step lower. And for me this year, um, that's going to be Wisconsin running back Braylon Allen. Um, he's obviously 
going to be at the core of Wisconsin's success to whatever level that they happen to reach. He had 12 carries in the first month last season and proceeded to still rush for over 1,100 yards, 12 touchdowns, and had a seven-game stretch, seven-game 100-yard stretch. Um, we all know Wisconsin likes to run the ball, so it's, you know, I had actually heard somebody say something about, oh, well, it's because they hand it off to him all the time. The kid's good, and he's definitely going to take another step this year. He's in the conversation as a Heisman candidate. That Badger backfield is heavily – the offense entirely is going to rely on him. Um, they have some talent elsewhere, but I, I think that when you look at where Wisconsin is at at the end of the season, you're going to be able to say they would not have done it without him. George, um, do you just have anything to add to that? <laughs> no, uh, I mean, a little bit. Like he said, Wisconsin always has a really good running back. This kid was a 17-year-old freshman last year. Rushed for over 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns. He's only, only, only going to be better this year. Um, you know, the, the offensive line comes back again. I think they've returned three starters. But Wisconsin just they, – they have fat white men up there in Wisconsin. That, that's yeah. all they know how to do is produce All they do, alignment. or all they have. Um, fat white men. And so – I, I have him as my dark horse. He's not necessarily my pick. Uh, I think, like you said, C.J. Stroud is the obvious pick right now. But, granted, he is heading into his second year. Nobody knows if he's going to take a step back or not. So, at the same time, I, I my other – I guess my third pick, um, really, have, I have him in second place, is uh, Jackson okay. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, standout year last year, really broke out in the Rose Bowl game. Um but, I mean, it, it could be the same situation as we had two years ago where um, Bryce Young was really, really good for Alabama, but he just wasn't Heisman material yet. And, you know, Stroud is very good, and he showed a lot of promise last year. He's one of the best in the country. But if he takes a step back this year and Ohio State's offense still needs to produce, they're going to look at their wide receivers. And we, we got the same thing where Devon, uh, Devontae Smith um, yeah. takes over you know, leads that offense and, and ends up winning a Heisman. So if it's not Stroud, I have uh, Njigba. And if it's not him, then I have uh, Braylon. So if it's not the guy that's favored, I got one of the next nine guys for sure. Yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah, George is picking the best player on all of the Big Ten teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, much. Um, so I took the question, literally, I went with CJ Stroud. Um, I think that, uh, so like, well, I understand, but I mean, it, come the end of the season, if we He's look, like somebody's got to be, like, be right on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that the, the the gentleman you guys picked from Wisconsin is going to be sitting in a rehab facility with Sean Clifford with a torn ACL midseason. Um, <laughs> That's rude. But yes, yeah, so I I had chose CJ Stroud just because um, I I think that you had stated that uh, the guy that you had picked had a really great season last year as a 17-year-old and that he's only going to get better. I think the same for C.J. Stroud. I don't think he's going to take a step back. I think he's going to continue to build on that same uh, momentum that he left off with last season. I think that also, I think they're going to be out to be bullies this season at Ohio State. I think that I, I called it last week and said that I believe Ohio State's going to win by 20 against Notre Dame. I think that that is, if they're able to do that, I can't imagine what they can do to the rest of the Big Ten. Um, do you guys think that Sean Clifford is capable of leading PSU <laughs> to the Big Ten title? All right, I want Nick to go first, just so I can refute everything. Okay. 
do you want me to pause after every sentence to give you a chance, or do you want me to go through the whole thing? Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll just go first. I'll lay up my case. Wait, I want to ask Nick first, though. Does Nick, are you just going off of, like, what what you know from heart, or did you, like, look up statistics and stuff? Are you about to throw, like, he's the top – he's the second quarterback in so, the Big Ten out of him and stuff no, like that? I didn't look up, like <laughs> – oh, no, like, I got stats. I, oh, got, I, I have oh. I have stats too. Don't worry, I have stats too. But like, I'm not gonna throw like yeah, like yeah. for example, I'm a Washington fan. People throwing out Carson Wentz stats like he's the only player to pass for four thousand yards with a receiver with less than five hundred. Like I ain't throwing nothing crazy at you like that. But I I do have stats. Okay, okay. go ahead, go ahead. You want me? Okay, all right. So uh, let me double check because you like to change notes after I do my notes. So let me just double check the wording on this real quick. Okay, yes. Is Sean Clifford capable of leading PSU to the top of the division? I'm going to say capable, yes. Going to? A little bit of a different story. So I'll break it down a little (laughs) bit here. Overall, last season, 248 attempts. He missed half of Iowa um, and two other games, I believe. Mm -hmm. I didn't look at the game number. I should have. But anyway. Huh? Should have been more. (laughs) Arguably, um, 248 attempts, just over 3,100 yards, 20 touchdowns, eight inter- interceptions. Not going to blow you out of the water by any means. Um, but I- I'll be the first person to say that. I also am tired of seeing Sean Clifford. I want to put that out there too. Nice guy, tired of seeing him. Um, this is the same guy two months ago. Nick said was going to win the Heisman. I just want to point that. out. I did not say that two months ago. Uh, n- never have I said Sean Clifford <laughs> is going to win the Heisman. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. Put in a poll on Instagram. I'll bring the, I'll bring the tape <laughs> to that. But anyway, talk about before his injury against Iowa last year. Now, obviously, softer schedule. They did have Auburn, but nonetheless, um, had the team sitting at 5-0 and and number four nationally. I, a lot of that had to do with the defense. I'll be the first person to say that. Not a shame. Um, they were poised to beat number three Iowa, sitting at number four, uh, before he went out, and their backup QB, Roberson, acted like he'd never been on a football field in his life. Um, in those first five games, threw for just over 1,300 yards. And a lot of that came from four games because he only threw for 178 against Indiana. That's all he needed. They blew him out 24 nothing. He had 11 touchdowns and three interceptions um, with absolutely no hope from the running game. And that did not help or that did not come any later in the season either. He has a slightly, very slightly upgraded offensive line this season. A group of talented and experienced running backs, including... Uh, freshman Nick Singleton, who I seen just before we got on the show, rushed for like 6,400 yards in high school, which sounds absolutely ridiculous. He has two Biletnikoff uh, candidates in Parker, Washington, and WKU transfer Mitchell Tinsley, along with um, a rather forgotten wide receiver in Keandre Lambert-Smith, who had a good season last year. The defense is going to do what Penn State defenses do. I think Jair Brown is just as talented as Jaquan Brisker. The rest of the secondary is talented, experienced. Um, the entire season is going to come down to Clifford, which I love that this question was in the podcast because literally this team could be undefeated or have a negative record. It's going to depend on Sean Clifford. I, I'm throwing a range out there. I already stated that I don't think they're going to go undefeated. But this is like, obviously, this is his do it or not year. It's his last possible year that he can spend in college football. Um, but I think that this is the best chance that he has since taking over Penn State to do something with it. Again, like we talked about, whether he does or not, uh, obviously, we'll find out here in a little bit. Um, but it, it, it's on Clifford. He has the tools in front of him to do it. 
it's going to be, do we see the first five games or even 2019 Sean Clifford, or do we see last five games or last seven games? Well, he didn't play all, but, and 2020 Sean Clifford. It, there's a huge floor and ceiling here for Clifford. Like I said, capable, I think, yes. Does he do it? I, I, I'm going to, I've already straight up said that I don't think they're going to win the division, go undefeated, whatever, or win the conference, go undefeated, or whatever. So I don't think that he does it. But the question was capable, so I had to make a point as to why he was capable. Yeah, so George, uh, I think, first off, the only way that Sean Clifford could have done better in that Iowa game is if he had thrown with his left arm. Um, He still would have done better than the backup that they put in that threw three interceptions in one quarter, though. What are your uh, thoughts on what Nick said, and um, what's on that piece of paper that you grabbed from him? It's my stats I looked up. And so, like Nick said, I took this question very literally. Is he capable? And he's not. But to be fair to him, okay, I only looked at his first five games. So through through the Iowa game. But the rest of them I didn't look at because you could argue he was hurt. All this other stuff was going on. It, it is what it is. Okay? So, like Nick said, his, his stats through the Iowa game, he had 1,482 passing yards, so almost 1,500. 11 touchdowns to five interceptions and a 67, 67% completion percentage. What I want to get into is those defensive rankings. And I know Nick said it wasn't the strongest schedule, but when I looked at these stats, I didn't realize it was this bad. Okay. So you look at the Wisconsin game first, 55% completion, 247 yards, one touchdown. That was a slugfest. It was honestly at times it was a really hard game to watch, but it was big 10 slugfest back and forth. Wisconsin's defense ranked fourth in the nation in passing defense and first in total D. So on, he had a pretty good game for you know, the, the number one overall defense in, in, um, in, the, in the country last year. Game two was Ball State. 72%. Also hard. Yeah. 72, 72% completion, which is really, really good. 230 yards and one touchdown. They ranked fifth in the MAC and 10th, excuse me, fifth overall in MAC defense and 10th in passing defense. The Auburn game, 88% completion, 230 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. They ranked 11th in the SEC in passing yards per game, 8th in the SEC in total defense. That's just the SEC. They ranked so low that they wouldn't even show up on the NCAA's rankings, but I tried to look them up nationwide. Week three, they played Villanova. He threw 73%. I think we're at uh, four now, but nonetheless. We are. You're right. I'm sorry. Week four, they played <laughs> Villanova. 73% completion, 401 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. They ranked seventh in the FCS in total defense, fifth in the FCS in passing yards allowed. So as far as SCS goes, they're one of the top defense, but the problem is it's an FCS school. Then they play Indiana, and, and you pointed out they blew them out 24-0. I wouldn't really call that a blowout. But this is where he starts to show who he really is. He threw, sorry, he threw, Anna's going to divorce me if I use throw. <laughs> he threw 52% of it for completion, 178 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Indiana ranked 11th in pass defense in the Big Ten and 10th overall in the Big Ten on defense. Then we get to the Iowa game. He only played one half because he only played a half, right? He, he never came back. Yeah, I, I believe it happened like literally right at the end of the second half. Yeah, I, I, half. that's what first I thought. But I just time. before I said it, I just want to make sure. Yeah. Um. So the Iowa game, the first half, 
60% completions, 146 yards, zero touchdowns, and two interceptions. Iowa ended up ranking 17th in the country in total defense and 6th in the passing defense in just the Big Ten. Again, they didn't rank nationally in passing defense. So Clifford, and he's done this for multiple years now, starts off with a cakewalk schedule. Granted, you could argue uh, Wisconsin was not a cakewalk. Auburn at that point in the season, Auburn always plays really well at the beginning of the year and falls off throughout. So I understand that. But as soon as they get into these do or die games, and again, like I said, the first half of Iowa, yes, they're beating them, but he also threw two picks, which even if he stays in the game is what kept Iowa in the game. They were down what 21, nothing. I think when he got hurt, 24, I was trying to think of it earlier. I couldn't remember. Yeah. The 21, but, 24, one and four. It, or 24 if he doesn't years. throw this two policy picks, they are, three. yeah they're blowing yeah. them out and there, there's no reason for Iowa to come back whether he comes back in the game or not it, his his biggest issue is his decision making and it just shows up Agreed. at, at the, the the big the worst times and and that's been his his what's been hanging on him for all these years now yeah he'll win a really big game like Auburn at home or the Wisconsin game on the road but whenever and like I said, the Indiana game is the one that stands out to me. They won 24 nothing, and yeah, he threw for three touchdowns. He only completed just over 50% of his passes, and he had that pick, and it threw under 200 yards. And it's always games like that that show the chip in his armor, and I don't know if it's something gets in his head mentally in those games, but it just hangs with him from there on. Yeah, last year he got hurt, went out, and like I said, that, that's why I didn't include the, the full yeah. season. Well, time. in all fairness, too, like I was looking at those those last, it would have been like five games that he played after his injury or yeah. four or five, whatever. And the stats really weren't like if you look at the stats, mm-hmm. um, he, it doesn't look like he played that bad in those last couple games because he had five picks after the Iowa game and ended up with was eight. So you know, it looks it looks good for me. The biggest thing, and I didn't mention this when I was talking, but watching him play obviously every Saturday I'm watching this man on the field and from what I've seen of Sean Clifford previously to what I've seen last year there was definitely a step up his decision making yeah. still wasn't perfect you look at the Iowa game where he threw two picks uh one of them if I remember correctly was sort of a forced interception the other one was a Sean Clifford bad decision yeah. um that's why I'd use the word capable because he has especially if he takes another step with his decision making he has the tools but Sean Clifford is Sean Clifford. I, I'm not going to sit here and hang my hat on him and, and throw $100 on him. That's for damn sure. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I think if he would go out there and play to his capability every yeah. single week, Penn State might honestly God, go undefeated. But the, 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 the reason I'm saying he's not capable of doing it is because that's just who he is. He goes out yeah. there, and like I said, whether it's he gets in his own head or, or like – I always think back to uh, – uh, the replacements and you know Joe Flacco talks about um, you know quicksand and getting caught in it. I think that's honestly God what happens to him and it, it's it's one game and it drags him down for the whole year. Yeah. And you know he came back from the injury. You could talk about the Illinois game. Honestly, Illinois had a nationally ranked defense like inside the top fifty. I could find them on the website. Yeah, they had a really good defense and that's that's why the, and Penn State just didn't have a rushing game and you know you you got that result, but. The, the biggest thing that always sticks out to me is the Michigan State game. And, yeah, you could argue, oh, it's snowing. But if between – and granted, I can't hang all of this on Clifford. He had terrible decision-making in that game. But also, his head coach does not have good decision-making at times. Like, you think back to the white – Fourth game, and two. Yeah, that's, that's what I will always remember of, of James Franklin. Um, 
But you put the two of them together, and that's just why Penn State is not able to take that next step to become perennial Big Ten contenders, where we're, we'd be sitting here saying, listen, I don't care if it's a Weddell game or not. Penn State is winning that game, you know, against Ohio State on October 29th. Um, like, you know, we would have that discussion where, you know, it, that's just not going to happen. But because we know who the coach is and we know at that point in the season, listen, no matter what, Ohio State and Penn State, I don't care if one of them's ranked one and the other one hasn't won a game all season. That game will go down to the wire no matter what. Like we saw last year, that was a Penn State. When Penn State went into that game, they were sputtering. They were barely keeping their season alive. And somehow they, they had Ohio State, you know, on the ropes on the heels. a couple points. Um you know, that, that should, that's what rivalry games do. That, that's something we always appreciate about college football. Um, but just in my mind, and Clifford can come out and, and prove all of us wrong this year and, and show that he is a really good quarterback. I it's really just, appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, he, he has great potential in him. I just think he, he himself is holding everything back. And he, he, like, he throws one pick. It's like, oh, shit, here we go again. Like, I, you know, am I going to fall apart? And, and until he can show me that he's able to get past that, he can go out there and throw a pick, go out the next drive and throw a freaking 90-yard strike for a touchdown. You know, obviously that's very hard to do regardless. But um, until he can show me he's, he's the quarterback that can do that and, you know, prove why he should be a, a starter on one of the best teams and one of the best conferences in the country, I just don't see him – able to do that and that's why i don't see him as being capable of leaving leading penn state you know to to the top of the big 10 granted this is his last year regardless but yes and bring on 2023 bro that's all i can tell myself to be honest with you uh, we could we could win the natty this year and i'd still be more excited for 2023 i could care less so i i think the two things that penn state's season for this year their schedule is really set up for them to succeed um, Auburn has not been playing very well. They've got uh, shit. I exited out of it, but anyway, they're. I was looking at their schedule, and and they're they're pretty well set up to have a good season. Um, they have all the hard games at home, except right. for Michigan. They play except Michigan on the road. Auburn, like you said, Auburn's gonna play them tough because oh, no course. matter what, Auburn always starts the year really good, and then they just fall apart. Um, so the Auburn game is gonna be tough, but it's definitely a win. Penn State is the best team going into that game. If they don't win that game, I'm concerned for Penn State for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they get Ohio State at home. Granted, like you said, it's not the whiteout, but it helps. They get Michigan State at home the last week of the year. And they had they played super terrible in that game last year. They want revenge. And I think – I have them on paper right now as being a better team than Michigan State. I mean, we'll have to wait and see how the season shakes out. But the, their biggest challenge is they have – uh, Mich- or, yeah, Michigan on the road in the middle of the season, which always seems to bite them in the ass. Uh, you know, um, it, I, I think back, we just talked about that year they went to the Rose Bowl. They had Michigan beat that game. Like, they were the better team through and through, and they just let Michigan back into that game, and Michigan just ran away with it in the fourth quarter. Um, and then, you know, you think they end up that when they played Ohio State, they were even ranked. And then do they go one, and then do they lose to Michigan State? Or they did, I can't remember who the second loss was that year, but that if they hang on and, and play up to their potential in that Michigan game, we're talking about Penn State being in the playoffs. So, yeah, so I mean, 
I think that two bad things happened at the end of last season. I think Sean Clifford decided to come back for another year, and I think they extended uh, James Franklin's contract. I think that ever since he has had a hard time calling plays in a game-time decision when it comes to fourth-quarter game on the line, he has had a problem with it the last two three seasons. I mean, ever since Trace McSorley left, he's had a problem. Um, Even when I, Trace was there, he had a problem. And, I mean, they're giving him top dollar. The only coach that makes more than him in the Big Ten is Ryan Day, who just signed a contract last year. Um, I, I just think, I mean, they're, they're giving him like $8.5 million plus a million dollars in uh, insurance policy that has, like, all of these benefits off of it. Um, it it's, it's just really disappointing, I think, that Obviously, I don't actually want Sean Clifford to get hurt, but I hope that he loses the position because I think, like George had said earlier with the quicksand comment, he just has a way of shooting himself in the foot. He could throw for 300 yards, but when you throw three interceptions, he's Ben Roethlisberger in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Ben Roethlisberger, ben Roethlisberger, yeah, yeah, ben Roethlisberger will throw for 500 yards and break his record, like his own passing record, but he had five interceptions and they lose by 20. Like, that's just Sean Clifford to me in a nutshell. Um, So I just really wish that with the type of season that they have, if they want a chance to compete, I, I wish that they tested out the backup. Um, I don't think that Sean Clifford is capable of taking them to the playoffs. Yeah. Um, uh, just real quick before we move on to our picks in here. Um, you, you said about the, the Franklin contract. I agree. It's an absolutely outrageous contract and nothing near what he deserves. But they also knew – there was other teams out there throwing around ridiculous money to sign some of these big name head coaches. And, you know, that's, he's somebody a lot of teams would have been looking at to be like, Hey, come turn our program around and get us to where you have Penn state right now. And Penn state, Penn state understood that there was no coach out there that wanted, I don't think would want to come take that job that is able to do the bare minimum that James Franklin can do at least proven, I would say. Um, and so they knew, they understand, like, listen, we don't want you to go. You, you've recruited really well here. You just need to put a couple things together in the field. And this is the spiel they gave him. Like, hey, you're signing top five classes every year in recruiting. You just need to put it together on the field, whatever. And they're like, we don't want you to leave. And so they gave him, you know, X, X, I think 10 years, freaking shit ton of money. Um, and so I, under, I understand why they did it. It just, the, when you Here's look at the happened, contract yeah. itself, it's it, it just mind-boggling. So, so what had happened at Penn State was the athletic director, Sandy Barber, was on her way out. Mm -hmm. And so she re-signed all of the staff coaches to these ridiculous contracts. Cale Sanderson, the head coach of Penn State Wrestling, signed an unknown, like they're saying it's a crazy amount of money, which deserves. He's brought Penn State Wrestling to the top for the last 10 years. Um, But basically what she did was she tried to, um, or sorry, she, it's a guy, Sandy Barber. Um, they tried to um, really solidify Penn State athletics for the next, like, five, ten years with the coaches, which it just doesn't make sense. Like, I, I mean, Penn State is not where they need to be right now with the draft, with the classes that they're bringing in. So I, I just am really disappointed that, they signed him to that long of a contract that Sean Clifford's back. I think uh, it's, it's, it's so much in the, in the fact that they got used, and especially you just look at the football side of things, they got so used to Joe Paterno being there. 
for so many damn years and, and he had such great success but he he was a lifelong coach he was going to be there until his passing and that's you know unfortunately when that up happening given all the other circumstances but since then you know they, they had bill o'brien come in and you know really revive that program and keep it alive and then you know he leaves for the nfl and they they felt that burn and now here comes james franklin he, he keeps it you know you know, at the same place, but also starts building upon it. And it's like, hey, listen, we we understand he eventually could make something special, you know, and we can sit here and argue that, you know, he's not that guy. Maybe he is, you know, all this other stuff. But Penn State just got so used to having stability and not having to worry about, okay, what coach is going on the market this year? And, you know, is it worth cutting our head coach loose? And, you know, between the, the, the AC or the AD leaving and the, the fear of, of having – do a, a coach turnover every three years because hey we bring in another guy who we think can take us you know a step above Franklin and we're going to bring him in here and he's going to do that and two years from now Penn State's struggling to make a bowl game okay let's cut him bring in the next guy cut him and I, I think it's it's a fear of having to do that based off of where they came from from having so many years of success and and consistency under Joe Paterno they're like listen we 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 see what are the other, these other schools are doing. They, they cut a guy, and I the, the biggest thing, you look at the, another Big Ten school in Nebraska. They cut Mike Riley, I want to say, and I, that's probably not right. They, they cut him loose. They said, you know, making bowl games and, and losing the Big Ten championship isn't good enough for us. They fired him. They brought in another coach, and they couldn't win a damn game. Now they bring in Lincoln Riley, or not Lincoln Riley, um, Scott <laughs> Frost. Frost. Yeah, they bring in Scott Frost. And he's a prodigal son. He's returning. He's going to lead Nebraska back. And then all of a sudden, here they are. They go three and nine last year. And they haven't had a winning season since they fired. And I know, I know I'm saying it wrong, but I'm going to say Mike Riley. Um, and so they look at that. They go, we don't want to do that. So we're going to hang on to this guy that takes us to bowl games every year. Hey, we can compete for a Big Ten title here and there. And, and like you said, like, yeah, it's, it's a, AD leaving, but it's also the, the fear of having to to go back to the, the fight or flight response, basically. I think, I think the, it's the key even to Franklin more. is that you just – he's a good coach, a great recruiter. you got to find that offensive coordinator and allow him to take over. And that's obviously a great offensive coordinator. You go from a yeah. good coach to a great coach. Let Franklin continue to do his recruiting. Obviously, he's good at it. To be able to sit there and convince these people year in and year out to come play for Penn State knowing that Ohio State, just in the conference, is normally most of the time a better team, especially the last however many years. Or uh, like the one linebacker we got from uh, for the 2023 class had offers from like Georgia and Clemson. Obviously, Clemson a little shaky, you know, last year and will be shaky again this year. Um, but nonetheless, keep him recruiting. Let your – get a great offensive coordinator. Let him – make those decisions, you know, when it's worth or whatever, at least run them by you, you know, but uh, obviously Franklin is a few terrible decisions away from us sitting here talking about him being a great coach. So find somebody that's not going to make those terrible decisions. And just like we go back to Ryan Day real quick. We talked about him earlier. You said Ryan Day has a, has a control problem. I think James Franklin is just as much as the same thing. And like you said, Hopefully, well, you know, obviously not for you guys, but in, in the grand scheme of things, Ryan Day has kind of let go of the offense a little bit, handed it to his OCs and said, hey, listen, I was really good at that, but 
as soon as you become a head coach and when you leave an offensive coordinator position, you don't realize how much other stuff there is going on, how much, uh, how many things you need to take care of on the sideline that you can't let go. And it's going to take your mind away from the offense. And, you know, if, if Ryan Day really is letting control go, I think that's going to help Ohio State the most. And I think that's what James Franklin needs to realize is, listen, you need to hire, and I understand you're going to hire a million wrong guys before you find that one guy. And the second you do, and he's going to you know, have Penn State, you know, back-to-back Big Ten titles, another school is going to come calling to make him the head coach. And listen, I understand that, but you, you need to sit there and understand that there are so many other things that you need to control on that sideline. And, hey, let my OC take over and, and you know, show, show me what he's got and let my DC do the same thing and so on. That, and I understand that that's the hardest thing to do is when you become a head coach, let, letting go of your offense. And he doesn't need to let go completely, but like you said, he, he absolutely needs to let the, the OC and the DC just handle a little bit more of the responsibility. And I, I think that'll help more than anything. And I think that's what Ryan Day is doing this year. And if that proves you know, tremendous in his returns, James Franklin needs to absolutely look at that and say, hey, this, this is something yeah. I need to look into. And I do want to say something real quick before Slade says his point. Just back to the Clipper topic. This is the first time in his six years of playing for this team that he will have the first or the same offense coordinator two years in a row. So again, it's on Clifford. Yeah. Go ahead, Slade. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that it goes farther than him being a good recruiter. I mean, he what he's doing is keeping the good players from Pennsylvania in Pennsylvania playing. Um, some of the top players that he signed. Saquon Barkley, all these people, they're, they, he kept them in, in state. Um, so while like Bravo and everything, this season is the last season that the recruiting is going to matter. Because as soon as these schools figure out how to just have sponsors sponsor the school and the school divvy that money right into the student athletes for the NIL deals, the fucking recruiting's gone. Because someone will go play at Ohio State for a year where they're going to make $3.5 million to be starting running back, and as soon as the next kid comes in, oh, you know what? I'm going to go to Nebraska, who's going to pay me $4 million to play at this, at this team. Like I, I think that the recruiting that he's doing is going to mean nothing. I think that his game decisions is what's going to screw him, and they have no way of getting rid of him now. There's no payout option when you sign him for 10 years and almost $100 million. Yeah. Well, I do somewhat agree with you, but... Um, I'd actually read something. Uh, so a lot of people think like, say, Alabama would be able to offer somebody $2 million where, say, Nebraska, just because you said Nebraska, would only be able to offer them $500,000. And I find out that that's not as much the case as like what I assumed it would be. But at the same time, like, you also have to be able to go to that school and play. So if you're going somewhere, say you're a wide receiver and you're looking at going Ohio State, but they've got a stacked wide receiver room like they always do, you're probably not going to play or you might have to wait two three years and a lot of people don't want to do that they'd rather sacrifice say a million or half a million dollars this one year that they could be playing at this school for the however many million they're going to get paid when they go to the nfl so i think maybe five years ago but i think everyone is so focused on money now that someone could literally be playing at alabama having a chance to be an extra three games a year than any other school that they could possibly go to and they'll choose to go to Nebraska where they could make $5 million because fucking some cheese company is going to sponsor them, have them be their head athlete, you know? Yeah. No, I, I think said, that I the schools that, are going like... to make deals with these big uh, conglomerate companies and stuff like that. And, and that's what's going to run college football. Lane Kiffin's talking about, he's like, look, it's a business. This is, these people are going to start making more money in college football 
than they're going to make in the NFL because they're going to just drag themselves out. They're not going to continue to work hard while in college. It's just going to ruin it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, like I said, I definitely agree with you. Um, and I think that, you know, it could be. But, for example, the one linebacker we got for the 2023 class, he's from Alabama. I think it was the linebacker. He's from Alabama. Um, he was recruited by, I believe he was recruited by Bama. I know he was recruited by, or recruited by Georgia. Alabama might not have been one of them. But, nonetheless, like, there's always, I, I think that's one thing where, if the recruiting is going to matter, you have to make it matter. So, like, one of our prospects from the 2023 class, I don't remember if it's the same one I was talking about or not, but had said that the opportunity, straight up said the opportunity at another big school, uh, a bigger school than Penn State, I can't remember exactly who, which team it was because I can't remember what player it was, but said the opportunity was better there, but he felt like he was part of a family at Penn State. So, if you're going to keep recruiting relevant, you have, like, you're going to have to, physically force it you know what i mean like it because this money is going to start talking a lot so if recruiting if recruiting suddenly becomes irrelevant like obviously you're going to have to continue to make these people feel like they're coming into a family i I don't think recruiting is completely going to go away but i do agree that it's about to get affected in the next coming years yeah um so Moving into our conference picks for this Big Ten season, um, Nick, we'll start with you. Who do you have winning the East and West of the Big Ten? Yeah, I'm going to keep this simple. We have a tradition on this podcast, all right, and it's we pick our teams no matter what. So I'm going Penn State. Give it to them. What about the West? Did he say the West? I thought he just yes, said, he said East. Oh, you okay. did the same thing last week. You picked the Atlantic, but not the Coastal. Right, okay. God okay, damn so it. Get it together. I have the West here. I just didn't hear he just, him say West. He, God damn he it. always looks back at the questions. He's like, wait, was I high when I read that? <laughs> Probably was. So West, uh, I'm going with Wisconsin here. I said it earlier. I think Braylon Allen is going to have a Heisman-esque season. Um, I think QB Graham Mertz is going to take a step. I don't think he's going to become, you know, a national QB contender or anything like that. But I think he's going to take another, take a step up, um, go from being a lousy game manager to, at the very least, a good game manager. Maybe even take a little extra step and and become somewhat of a playmaker. Um, but I think he's going to be able to keep the ball moving, to be able to score some points. The defense should be near the top of the Big Ten again. Um, They had a nice effort replacing some lost talent. It's not going to be easy. Um, They will play in Iowa, uh, which obviously is in the West with them. Um, But obviously one of the toughest places to play in the country as well. But I do think that they're going to get it done and win the West. George, what are your thoughts East and West? Um, Do you agree with Nick or do you have difference? No, uh, I'm actually being a realist Uh, with the East. I have Ohio State. Your favorite teams out of the Big Ten, George. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm going to Ohio for a wedding and having to deal with Ohio State fans all weekend. But no, I, I I 100% do think that. I mean, until they prove, like we said otherwise, until they prove, or we said earlier, until they prove otherwise, God damn it, that they are you know not as good as their own paper. uh, I I have not only the East winners, but just the conference winners in general. In the West, I'm going with Purdue. Uh, the West is always like the most wide open, not just division, but just anything in college football. Um, but as far as Wisconsin, they're only returning eight starters. Yeah, they reloaded a lot on defense, uh, but on the offensive side of the ball, I just don't have a lot of faith in them outside of their running back. 
Uh, as far as Iowa, uh, there's an offense that really struggled to score last year, and I don't see them improving a whole lot. I think Purdue can capitalize as they return on their or they return their QB, Aiden O'Connell, and Ron English gets promoted to head defensive coordinator uh, to continue to improve upon a defense that ranked 48th in the, the country last year. Um, they do have Wisconsin and Minnesota on the road, but they get Iowa at home and an easier schedule uh, in, in terms of you know the Big Ten uh, strength, I guess I would say. Uh, you know they don't play a lot of like the, the big name teams. They they don't get Ohio State, Michigan State, you know, at, you know games like that. Um, so I have them ranked the best this year. Yeah. So uh, for reasons that you had just mentioned, I actually picked Wisconsin. I originally was looking at Purdue, but. Um, seeing that Wisconsin was going to play them at home, I thought that they would win that head-to-head battle. Kind of like I had said last week with Wake Forest and Clemson, um, I think that that's kind of the same exact situation with Purdue and Wisconsin. I think that they're going to be the top two teams in the, in the uh, West, and that Wisconsin's going to win that head-to-head at home. Um, the other side, I unfortunately, I have Ohio State. Um, Got to be a realist, but I do think that there's a way that Penn State or Michigan— Traitor! Yeah, I, I do think there's a way that Penn State or Michigan— um, specifically Michigan, uh, playing Ohio State at the end of the season, could win, and that person plus Ohio State get in just because the strength of schedule on the other side isn't very good. I don't see Wisconsin or Purdue getting into the playoffs. Um, who do you guys see as the most improved team in the Big Ten this year? Um, George, we'll start with you. Uh, so I cheated. I took two teams. Um Bro, hold on. The most indecisive person ever. Why did I also ever? take two teams, bro? Why do I feel like they're going to be the same two teams? Um, I doubt it. So I took Nebraska and Illinois. Um, I'll start with Illinois. Uh, and I, I I, don't have them, like, greatly improving. I don't have them, like, competing to win the Big Ten West. Uh, the, the reason I, I also chose them alongside Nebraska is just because they were a game away from making the bowl game last year. Uh, and they have four losses by one score or less. Uh, so I, I – in general, I just have them taking another step and improving. Uh, they get a new offensive coordinator this year. Uh, they return a lot of their stars. Uh, they also get uh, Tommy DeVito transferring in from Syracuse. Um, and so I think overall, uh, the team will be improved a little bit, and I have them making the bowl game. Um, they have a decent non-conference schedule with only one Power 5 opponent, uh, and that's Virginia. And uh, they get them at home. Uh, five wins is a benchmark, but they can easily get to six or higher. If they can just learn to finish out games uh, and their offense improves a little bit, um, they're, they're really tough games. Are uh, They get Iowa, Minnesota, and Michigan State at home, and then Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Michigan on the road. Uh, I have them going 7-5 this year. Uh, now, as far as Nebraska, uh, this is just to please my father-in-law. Um, but, it, 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 honestly, it is hard to get worse than going 3-9. and nine. Uh, They have a new office coordinator in Mark Whipple who comes over from Pitt, uh, and a lot of people refer to him as like a a QB whisperer. Uh, They finally get rid of Martinez, uh, and they get Texas transfer Casey Thompson, uh, who showed signs of being a a really great quarterback last year when he played at Texas, Uh, but he definitely had his flaws. If Whipple can, you know, mold him and get him to grow in his offense, um, they can easily be, I wouldn't, I don't want to say one of the best offenses in the Big Ten, but they can be a whole hell of a lot improved. They lost eight games by one score or less, and they blew multiple games. Uh, again, thinking back to Tony, I remember watching the Iowa game with him uh, at Thanksgiving. Uh, that was difficult to watch. I think they were up 21-0 and they lost 28-21. Um, 
But yeah, much like Illinois, if they can just learn to finish out games this year, they can absolutely make a bowl game. I have them going seven and five as well. Uh, they do have a really tough Big Ten schedule. Uh, they get Purdue, Iowa, and Michigan on the road. Uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Illinois at home. Uh, they also have Oklahoma at home. Uh, they lost to them by seven last year because Martinez uh, just threw a stupid interception. So those are, those are my two teams. Nick, what are your thoughts? Most improved. Okay, so I, I went with two teams for two different reasons here. Um, the first one, I did have one of the same teams. I went with Illinois for a lot of the same reasons. The second team, um, I is I put in as an if, uh, because obviously we're sitting here talking about, you know, Sean Clifford, if this, Penn State, if this. If, 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 uh, obviously, you know, you go from the record they had last year. If all those things come together, they're easily one of the, if if not the most improved team in the Big Ten. However, if, 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 that's why I went with Illinois for my main pick. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I... I... I had a really hard time picking the most improved just because I feel like the standings look pretty similar every season. You have the same three um, on both sides at the top. Uh, if I had to pick one just based on schedule after George had stayed at Nebraska's, I would say that they have the best chance of like the bottom two, three teams to squeak out an extra win or two this season. But um, I, I kind of see it being the same. I mean, even Indiana going 2-10 and 10 last year, I don't see them improving on that. I mean, they're in a hard side of the division. Um, it's just the same teams are at the top. So unless they get an upset, like, I mean, if you think about it, Illinois shouldn't have even, if, if Penn State had played the way that they should play, uh, Illinois wouldn't have even had a winning record last year. Um, they didn't. They were 500, I thought. Oh, shit. I thought they were 500. My bad. Um, but, yeah, so <laughs> I was looking at uh, Maryland's 7-6. and six. Uh, okay. That's still not 500. Well, I thought that they were going to be anyway. I, I I don't have a most improved. I have a most uh declining team. But well, who's that, Slade? Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, tell us about that. My most declining team is Michigan State. Okay. I think that they're going to move. They took third in their division last year. I think that Penn State and Maryland both have an opportunity to jump above them this season. So, oh. um, yeah. So that's who I went with. Nick, what are your thoughts on most decline? Yeah. So. I feel like one of mine are always a little controversial, and this one definitely could be. Um, I went with Iowa here. Uh, I don't That's think that, fair. yeah, I don't think that the record itself will necessarily fall too crazy. Maybe one or two more losses, going like eight and six. Um, but first of all, they aren't going to repeat as champions of the West. They lost their lost their best lineman um, on an offensive line that struggled compared to what you think of with Iowa standards, and. Their D is going to be one of the best in the country. That's pretty much given every year. Um, but I, I think the offense, huh? No, all about their D being good. I do. <laughs> um, Shut up Penn State's ass last year. But I think that the offense is just going to struggle too much to put up enough points to be winning um, games in, in this tough conference. George, what are your thoughts on uh, those decline? Cheated again. I took two. Um, oh, fuck's sake. He just can't. It, I mean, no. there's only fucking no, there's only the, 12 we're at teams. two hours. The podcast <laughs> no. isn't long enough. Let me just no. So, the, the one team I picked is Michigan, and it's only for the simple fact again, I don't see their record going down a whole lot, but it's just for the fact that one, I don't have them win, winning the Big Ten, and two, not making the playoff. Uh, and so, I mean, in, in that sense, it's definitely a, a decline. 
Uh, but the other team I picked is Michigan State alongside with Slate. Uh, they lose their star running back, Kenneth Walker, who was a, a Heisman. But he, his name was thrown around the Heisman nonstop all season last year. Um, and their defense uh, ranked 11th in pass. De- their defense ranked 11th in pass defense last year. Um, and that's just in the Big Ten alone. Uh, so the defense will need to improve. Uh, and they did get some transfers, especially in Amer Speed from Georgia. Uh, but I think overall. Is he fast? He better be. I hope so. Better be. Um, but I think the, the, the offense is going to take a little bit too much of a step back for their defense improving to matter. Um, and so, again, I have a, a very solid year, uh, you know, not necessarily winning like only five games or something like that. I have them going nine and three, uh, but they're not going to be a threat to win the Big Ten like they were last year. Like we went into the last week of the season going, well, if this and this happens, you know, Michigan State wins. It, it's not going to be that. I have them losing to Michigan, um, Ohio State and a trap game here and there. Um, so, George, can you give us the top five Big Ten games? Oh, so, I also picked five this week because I didn't want to – Oh, George I am so out, fucking so. proud of you. Yeah. Um, my oh. top five uh, in fifth place, I have Ohio State at Penn State. Just because it's not the whiteout doesn't mean it's – like I said earlier, it's not going to be a good game. Um, I have Iowa and Minnesota. Um I think that could be another game alongside uh, Purdue at Wisconsin. I have those in uh, four and three as, as my games that are essentially going to decide the Big Ten West. Um, my next game is Michigan State at Michigan. And then my number one game is it's always going to be Michigan at Ohio State. Nick, what were yours? Yeah, so I – even though I know it's top five, but I couldn't sit there and like I couldn't decide where I was putting shit. So I just oh my god, he's gonna list all fucking numbers. games. No, I only got five games. All right, I just couldn't decide where I wanted. He's to listing put. Penn State's entire <laughs> schedule. <laughs> Two hours isn't long enough. Penn State at Purdue. No, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> in no particular order, Penn State at Michigan, Ohio State at Penn State, Minnesota at Wisconsin, Wisconsin at Ohio State, and Michigan at Ohio State. I think that the. I didn't do a top five. I assumed that we were doing the same things last week, but I think that the game that I least look forward to is Penn State's whiteout this year against Minnesota. I think it's going to be it's, the most disappointing Penn State game of the season. It's such a lackluster whiteout. Yeah. For sure. But, I mean, if you think about it, like at that point, they haven't played Ohio State yet. I think they might have. No, I don't think they played Michigan. Yeah, it's point. the week. It's Yeah, it's. In I know it's the week before Michigan. Ohio State. Oh, it's it is. In between okay. Michigan and Ohio State. So, yeah. I mean, either way, that I could think, be. I'm pretty sure. That could be a one-loss Penn State team coming into a, a team that could very well be, you know, possibly undefeated and, you know, the favorites to win the Big Ten West. And, yeah, okay, it's not Ohio State. It's not Michigan. It, yeah, that, that's going to take something away from the game. But I, I think no matter what, like, Penn, Penn State fans are going to look at it and go, okay, listen, hey, we can win this. And, you know, we yeah. get Ohio State at home next weekend. You know, and, and the stadium is going to be rowdy. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no matter chance what, they're yeah. letting. Yeah, there's no chance yeah. they're letting Minnesota walk in there, and they're just going to let them go. Yeah, but. yeah I, I think I, it's disappointing that they had the chance to do Michigan State and Ohio State as the whiteout games. You don't want to do the last game of the year as a whiteout. Yeah. I in, still against a top tier team normally, like in their in their division. You know, I mean, it's better than Minnesota. I think that Michigan State. When it's twenty degrees outside, is better than Minnesota. At yeah, but I think Minnesota has had our number the last two times we played them, so I don't know. But the one thing I do want to say is, so first of all, 
I think that Penn State fans are going to treat the Ohio State game like it's a whiteout, whether oh, it's yeah, a whiteout or not, because they're going to be pissed. I, it's Penn State versus Ohio State, first of all, and they're going to be pissed that it's not a whiteout game. Second of all, if I'm Fox and I have the opportunity to broadcast arguably one of the biggest games in college football, not necessarily the matchup, especially depending on where Penn State's at, but a Penn State whiteout game against Ohio State, and you say, nah, we're going with the noon kickoff. I don't know who runs or who makes the decisions for Fox, but they can fuck off. All right. Well, it's the, the simple reason Fox made it the noon game is because they wanted Gus Johnson and Joel Flat, and for some reason those two do not do the, the primetime games. I wish they would. They're probably in fucking I bed. Would, I, I mean, I, well, <laughs> Gus is. I don't know about Joel. Um, but I am uh, excited to listen to those two call that game. Like, I remember – Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was Saquon's last year when they played at the Horseshoe and Saquon took the opening kickoff back for Yeah. Like, any time Gus Johnson calls a game, I, it's my favorite game of the week to watch. Yeah, um, there's definitely perks to it. Yeah, sure, um, yeah, I think Michigan at Ohio State is going to be a, a very interesting game. I mean, it always is at the end of the season, but I think that this season has a really good chance, just like last, to have a lot of implications with playoff. Um you guys have any more on college football, Big Ten, um, NASCAR, golf, anything before we move into our top five? No, I'm ready for that. I'm so ready for this top five. Nick, yeah. you good? I think you've said enough at this point. Okay. Um, so, which one of you guys want to start with your top five fast food restaurants for breakfast? I'll let Nick go first. I don't. So yeah, no. Slay, you go first. Yeah, let's say right. you go first. I don't eat fast food breakfast a whole lot, so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, just so you know. Um, I have one as a repeat because it deserves it. Um, the are we going like what you order from there for breakfast also, or no. just the place? Okay. I mean, okay, if you okay, want maybe. to, if you want to, you can. Okay. Okay. First. So number one, McDonald's. Number two, Chick Fil A. Wait, is number one the best one? Or we like normally yeah, we yeah, five. Yeah, Slade yeah, always yeah. does his top. It doesn't five matter. It doesn't matter because it's first and fifth. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> so, so number one, McDonald's. Number two, Chick Fil A. Number three, Sheets. Because I consider that fast food because they have drive-throughs yeah. now. Yeah. Um, four, Taco Bell, and number five, McDonald's again. Nick, <laughs> what's yours? Okay, so. I, I I could only think of four, first of all. So I'm going to do the same thing Slate did. I'm okay. going to put McDonald's at five. Um, now, I'll get to that in a second. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, number four, I'm going Taco Bell just because of the, the fucking Cinnabon Delights or whatever the hell they're called. You can order them all times of the day, but I don't care. They're fucking amazing. Um, number three, I got to go Chick-fil-A. I've only had it once, but it didn't disappoint me. Number two, I'm going to go McDonald's again at number two, only because they took away the all-day breakfast. And number one, I'm going to go Sheets, just because nice wide variety of things. You can customize it more and shit like that. So I'm going That Sheets must just one. be your area. They have all-day breakfast here. For real? Yeah. yeah. We, we don't have all-day all breakfast either. Huh. Yeah, there's yeah, all-day breakfast up here. Damn. It's probably because it's a college town. They're like, listen, these motherfuckers are going to work. They don't wake up till two. We need yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Like. All right, George. What's your top five? They're coming in. Order I just want to say you made yeah, fun yeah. of. You made fun of it. So I, I thought it was going to be, be like on the fucking top rope. And I thought that first of all, I thought it was going to be something with the college football preview that was going to piss me off. But no, 
It's the fucking fast food breakfast that both you get wrong. I don't um, order fast food breakfast. I understand, like, and that's fair. But you're both wrong. Uh, number five, I, I put gas station. I prefer sheets, but uh, I mean, granted, we don't have a lot of those around Charlotte. So, I mean, there's a lot of gas station places around here that just have yeah. plus, plus some food, especially in the Nonetheless, morning. MTO gas station. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number four, I have McDonald's. Okay. Listen, it's, it's nostalgic and, and it's good. The McGriddles are good. It's bland though. Like I, after eating it for 25 years, it just it doesn't wow me anymore. Um, and, and that's why it's number four. I had I only have it on my top five literally because of nostalgia. I mean, granted, it, it, out of the rest of them I have, I would have it number four regardless. Number three, I put Chick Fil A. Um, I have it above McDonald's because Slade and I have fond memories of Chick Fil A breakfast. Uh, we used to get out of high school early and we would get done at 10:30 and get to Chick Fil A at 10:45 as they're switching from breakfast to lunch. And so they walk around and give us free breakfast sandwiches. We um, did that at McDonald's too. That's why it was my number one. We would take the little receipt and we no, would get we on our phone. It was quarter and we pounders. would get, and we would get a quarter pounder for free. That's not breakfast. <laughs> oh my God. No, you were, we would get breakfast, but then by the time right. we finished breakfast, it was right. time for lunch. We'd get quarter yeah. pounders. I, I, I understand. Uh, number two is Taco Bell. Listen, you mentioned the cinnamon delights, and I love those things. The reason I have it number two is the fucking convenience. If you get the AM crunch wrap, you get the entire breakfast that you need in a goddamn tortilla <laughs> shell. You get the hash brown, the eggs, and whatever meat you want covered in cheese and their sauce, and it's handheld. I can drive and eat at the same time. I don't have to worry about reaching to my bag to grab the next thing. It's all right there. That is sheets. No, you can't. Yeah, you just order it all on there. It says, do you want moth sticks on your breakfast sandwich? And you say, yeah. And then it says, do you want French toast fairness, sticks on your breakfast not, sandwich? I have not tried the taco, any Taco Bell breakfast only because I'm not sure how I feel about starting my day with diarrhea. That's the only reason. Only Listen, reason. I, I, That's I the only so, way George starts his morning. I am so yeah. tired. <laughs> taco Bell doesn't give me diarrhea. If you eat Taco Bell enough, your immune system becomes capable of handling Taco Bell without having diarrhea. If you the immune Mex- system is Diablo sauce. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. Mine is, 100%. Okay. And number one, is, is I can't believe neither one of you had this on your list. And if you haven't eaten it, you need to go eat it. Fuck it's Burger Wendy's. King. Oh, no, fuck Burger King. I will never eat a Burger King in my life. That, fucking, that ain't for kings. That's for fucking jokers and losers. Um, Wendy's is by far, in a way, the best goddamn fast food breakfast I've ever had in my life. The Frostuccino is... Chef's kiss. The Frostuccino okay. is, is yes. fucking bucket. But their biscuits are absolutely amazing. Okay. They, they melt in your mouth. And then my favorite thing, though, is the breakfast baconator. I don't know what sauce they put on there, but you get, you get a sausage patty, you get an egg, you get bacon. But they put some kind of sauce on there that it, and I, and honestly, it might even be holiday sauce. I don't know. But it is so fucking good. And uh, their hash browns out of this world. Or, no, sorry, they're not hash browns. They're seasoned potatoes. Um, I mean, anytime you give me a seasoned potato over hash brown, I'm gonna love it. Uh, so yeah, Wendy's is by far and away the best breakfast, and I will not let anybody ever tell me otherwise. That's my top five. <laughs> so, in a whirlwind of what we thought football was gonna cause the most controversy, it came down to breakfast food. In which, I don't. Do you do you get breakfast food a lot, George? Yeah. Whenever. Okay. 
Okay, if so I, you're the I'm only running... one of the three of us that get yeah. fast food breakfast. Like, if I'm ordering food, I Grubhub everything, and it's not yeah. from McDonald's or Wendy's or anything. Like, it's well, like so from, if, like, the waffle shop or... If, if, if Hannah works from home, she will be nice and make me breakfast in the morning, and I'll eat it here. If I wake up on time, I will make my own breakfast. Five times out of ten, I will not wake up on time, and I need to grab something at Wendy's. Or... <laughs> and all five of those ten are work days. <laughs> Damn right. See, um, I don't, but, I don't but, hate... Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, there. I wanted to put uh, Bojangles on here, but listen, I understand that's not like a national chain. That's a southern thing. That's not fair. There was a couple, like a couple of the places down here that are near and dear to my heart that I love getting breakfast at, but not everybody has them, and so that's not fair. And so that's why with, when I put gas stations, I also put sheets. I prefer sheets, yeah. but granted, not everybody has them. Yeah. Do you See, remember the, the when we... For... Sorry, sorry. You're good. It's real quick. The thing for me is like, so... Typically, like if I'm stopping somewhere to, to get breakfast, it usually means I'm in a hurry. Most like I don't do it before work. I, I eat every morning. At the worst case, I grab a Pop-Tart. But if I go somewhere, if there's an opportunity for breakfast to be bought, that means more than likely that I am currently with Jade. And if it is past like 10 o'clock in the morning, Jade will eat lunch. She does not eat breakfast. And I don't get to make those kind of decisions. So if it's that time, and especially because like I'm not huge on fast food breakfast food, like I said. So like if she's like, well, why don't we get this instead? I'm like, all right, thanks. Like whatever. So I, I but that I was quick. That's all. That was relatively for how this the rest of this podcast is going. That was fast. <laughs> all I wanted to say was George. You said Bojangles. Do you remember when we went to Myrtle Beach and we stopped at oh Bojangles when we had to wait to get into the condo? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that breakfast. It was pretty good. Yeah. No, I mean, they have by far and away the best biscuits. Uh, my favorite thing to get there is the bowberry biscuits. It's a blueberry biscuit covered in like a, I, I call it a glaze, but it's like a, an icing, I guess, but it's like drizzled on there. Oh my goodness. It's diabetes in a biscuit, but it is so fucking good. Um, I was going to make a joke, but I, I can't. I don't want to get banned this weekend. So. Did they email you? Was it a close call last week? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, in the I'm meantime, surprised that you didn't go in farther on the the uh, allegations against PSU this week. I was waiting. Uh, oh, yeah, me too. I thought for sure he was going to bring that out instead of stats. Oh, I was, I was. Ready. Hannah walked in right as we started. I was like, uh, I don't get yelled at, especially by uh, an alumni. So yeah, I, I had to keep it down. But yeah, in so the meantime, that will wrap up our our very long. Uh, but very fun episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun bringing it to you. Um, NFL actually starts tonight. We didn't talk about that preseason. Starting next week, we will do That's our NFL. Yeah, we will do our NFL preseason uh, well, preview. Um, so we're excited to start that alongside the Big 12 season preview. Uh, so another fully packed episode next week. We're talking about Michigan. Uh, IndyCar is in Nashville this weekend. Um, we didn't give them enough time this week. And NASCAR, I said NASCAR is in Michigan, uh, the Wyndham Championship, but FedEx Cup playoffs start next week, so we'll get that stage set for you guys next week as well. Um, I need to stop talking my mouth dry, and I ran out of beer about 30 minutes ago. So um, go uh, subscribe, follow our TikTok, our Instagram, our Twitter, uh, and, and help us engage and spread the word, uh, and we will see you guys next week.